Off the ball. The last battle in the Ronaldo-Messi war mm. was that World Cup and uh, Ronaldo lost it and then, then he ended up at like an Al Nasser. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Alright, very good morning to you. It's Tuesday morning and it's half past seven and uh, we have a full house. Shane is here. Shane, good morning to you. Good morning, how are things? Kathleen is here. Kathleen, how are you? Good morning, I'm very good, thank you. Everybody well after the weekend? Yeah, really leaving start weather, isn't it? Leaving starts tomorrow, is it? It's usually Wednesday? Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. I, for a second there I was like, no, tomorrow's Tuesday and I was like, a bank holiday, Kathleen. Had my, my first ever iced coffee yesterday. Oh! Yeah, I know. Moving up in the world. I never had one. Someone's, yeah, I was going in for a coffee in town and someone said, you should have an iced coffee. And I was like, Jesus, I've never thought of that. And it was great. A little bit of vanilla in it as well. So uh, that was my weekend. A lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> I went out on Saturday night and then I, I decided to be very, very mature on the bike holiday Sunday. So I woke up smug, smug and rested yesterday in the sun. So that was nice for a change. And wh- where does out take you these days? Out usually takes me to the pubs of Monaghan Town. Oh, right. The, the, the only nightclub in Monaghan Town. So Still a nightclub man. To, uh, like, my arm can be twisted easily enough. I, I wouldn't consider myself a nightclub man. I prefer a pub and a pint of stout by myself, but no, the odd time I can be convinced. Living out the last year of my, my 30s, Kathleen, so... Or sorry, That's 20s, fair. 20s, I- 20s. 20s. <laughs> I'm heading for my 30s. Yeah. This is a, the big reveal of the weekend, is that Shane is actually 10 years older than he is yeah. telling everyone. 100%. No, and, I've got till September. And was the iced coffee in, in Monaghan? It was in Monaghan. Yeah, we do have iced coffee in Monon and Wi-Fi and like things like, you're, like that. You're the one who like, yeah, you no, know, Monon's getting notions now. Yeah, it's moving up in the world. <laughs> uh, it's only an hour and a half from Dublin. It's probably going to be a commuter belt town within the next ten, fifteen years. So, will it? Ah, maybe not. Cart Macross in South Monon has become one, so we're we're getting there. But uh, yeah, that was that was my. I got a bit of sunburn in Clonus on on Sunday afternoon as well. Uh, regardless of factor fifty, so yeah, that didn't help. And you, was was Clonus exciting? It was buzzing. Eight and a half thousand people, I think. Over eight thousand anyway, so not far from full. I think capacity is about 30,000 in Clonus, but um, a few, few Clare fans in attendance as well. And uh, really attacking football. 123 to 118. Uh, but, but Shane, football is dead. Have you not been following the narrative? I know, yeah. It was amazing. There was so many scores from distance as well. Jack McCarran kicked nine points eight from play. It was fun. It was, it was an exciting match. Uh, both teams just going for it. Ten all at the break. So uh, I enjoyed that. Bit of, bit of fun. You had athletic endeavours at the weekend, Jared, didn't you? I did. I did try a thigh. Oh, you did try a thigh? I oh, did. We did last year. The only, the only one who uh, showed up again this year, it turns out. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was fine. It was all right. I, it turns out you should probably do a bit more training than I had done. Did you improve on your training last up? year? Well, my timing chip didn't work. Okay, that doesn't help. It didn't. It meant that my... It, uh, that my timing chip didn't work as in... Talk at my homework, it sounds like. No, yeah. it, it actually... Um, it, it kicked in... It kicked in for the cycle, so it didn't record my time for the swim, which means that I'm officially last and took six hours and 40 minutes. I think I took closer to like an hour and 40 minutes, maybe, or a bit less even. But um, there was a lot of walking going on in the 5K, and I'm um, still feeling it today. It's funny, Kathleen, how like Jared's strongest leg in a triathlon would, would undoubtedly be the uh, 
the cycle and, and that's when his chip started working. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That well, is shocking. Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in that one. I was I was interested. It, well, actually, my cycle was no no faster than um, last year, which uh, would suggest the 750 metre swim, which I did this year, as opposed to the 250 swim, which, um, you know, we all kind of meandered down. That's much harder. 750 metres mm. swimming is harder. But the weather was sensational and the tie looked incredible. Like, you know, it was a, a really... Um, Beautiful thing to do. Are you a tourism ambassador for I'd Athai re- yet? I'd recommend everybody sign up for Triathai next year. And um, yeah, it was great. The atmosphere was incredible. Because last year it was a bit misty, the wind mm. and the rain. And it was like, you know, uh, not, not pleasant. No. It's funny how the weather changes everything, isn't it? But I have to say, Athai last year when I did it looked, looked brilliant as well, regardless of the mist and the rain. Um, so yeah, I can imagine in the sunshine it would uh, look even better. Was it any harder doing it with it actually being warm and? Uh, was it harder? No, I don't think so. I don't. I think um, I think it helps because it, it like, as I said, the atmosphere is, is like there are more people out in the streets, more people kind of yeah. cheering you. Well, yeah, I like um, which really makes a difference. Mm. I mean, I know it kind of sounds like it's stupid that we shouldn't make any difference. All oh, it's you, it's you versus, but actually, it's it's much nicer to do this. Mm. Uh, you know, with people too. That's the other. Uh, I, I did actually. We had a plan. We got uh, my mates from home were supposed to do it, but they all pulled out oh, slowly shocking. over the last couple of weeks. I'm like pathetic. Yeah, that is pathetic. Did anyone else end up doing it with you, or were you the sole survivor? Uh, from from my mates from home, I was the only one. Yeah, yeah, the only one from here as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I met a friend of mine from um, my old class. So hello to John Pingleton. Good morning to you. Uh, anyway, we should get into the rest of the, the weekend because my athletic endeavours not, not particularly. In uh, the you were well, the FA Cup. You're doing the triathlon. I mean, I actually missed all the, the good stuff on Saturday. I was listening to um, um, football Saturday with JD and, and Graham Gartland uh, as they were watching the game on the way back up, um, and then listening to a bit of uh, Kildare and Dublin on KFM, mm. and then I stopped. Um, but anyway. It, uh, 7.35 this morning it is time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings you know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance probably should have won the game based on the second half performance is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head that performance is just lacked that intensity let's get straight into it into the red this morning and um, I think we're going to start with Manchester United who we're oh so close and yet oh so far on Saturday afternoon to Manchester City um, and there is a gap between the teams. Regardless of the 2-1 result, I think it's fair to say there is a, a gulf. Um, United trying to, of course, stop the treble. Uh, next weekend, this inevitable treble that City are I mean, probably going to complete this weekend. It's not to say Interman won't show up and, and cause some destruction potentially, but uh, I have to say, Jared, I'll hold my hands up a little bit here on Jadon Sancho. Uh, so I watched him closely when I was at Old Trafford recently against Wolves. I've watched him very closely in recent matches. I watched him closely on Saturday, and he's just, at the moment, not good enough. He's been really, really poor. Um, I mean, you're just waiting for Garnacho to be sprung from the bench, uh, and eventually they, they bring Garnacho on. They don't bring Sancho off just yet. Uh, Garnacho just lights the game up, uh, and all of a sudden United looked, in the last 15-20 minutes, like they could maybe um, get an equaliser, take the game to extra time, there weren't clear-cut chances. Like at the end, McTominay's header bounces off the top of the crossbar, goes behind for a corner. Um, but there are just so many areas of United's team that need improvement. Like, Maguire will be gone this summer, you'd imagine. 
He's been left in the fringes. Will he? I, well, I can't see sure. him coming back in. Well, I can't. Uh, okay. Martinez wasn't even involved the weekend, and Maguire just doesn't have a, a sniff. Um, you can see him in the photograph there trying to. Console. Will he be gone though? I'm just not sure. Well, unless he wants to be a bit part squad player and uh, wear the armband when he comes on in the car. They were saying Cup. they're going to have to give him 10 million in cash to leave to make up for the uh, reduction in wages that whoever signs him will have to pay. So, like, I don't know. The 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 they're paying now for the sins of chronic mismanagement over the last 15 years and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how quickly they can come out from under that because clearly they've got a good manager who's able to um, make these players play at a certain level but to get to the next level I, I think Eric Ten Hag is a manager that can take it out to the next level I think there are although they're in the red this morning like there are positives if you'd said to United fans at the start of the season you'll win a trophy albeit the Carabao Cup and you'll get top four. I think they would have taken it, like, and then get into an FA Cup final. You're as telling well. me it's a good season, Shane. <laughs> it's You're a, telling me it's a good season. It's an improvement. It's a better season than Arsenal season. No, I, I had said if they'd won the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup and finished top four, it would have been a better season for me, in my opinion, than Arsenal season. As things materialised, I think. What you said, uh, listen, play the tip. Play the tip. <laughs> Everybody's happy after the Bank Holiday weekend. We're not going. Yeah, exactly. Um, David de Gea is a problem. I have to say. Uh, his distribution again on Saturday left uh, much to be desired. It just doesn't fill you full of confidence. And, and then again, you get the Golden Glove this season in the Premier League, most clean sheets. So you look at that stats-wise, and you think, oh, all is well in the. Uh, but that is Spanish also days. like one element of yeah. a goalkeeper's game. Like most clean sheets, doesn't actually talk about well, how well did you? Were you on the ball when you had it? How well did you like put it out to everyone else? Mm. You know. How much were you actually stopping in and around the box? Like, I don't know how much winning a Golden Glove and those sort of individual awards actually tells how good a player is. It's the same with like most goals. You can be like, okay, yes, you're good at scoring, but you could also sit in the box and poach goals all day long, or you could mm. be absolutely useless to the team the rest of the time, which is fine sometimes and probably better for a goal scorer than a goalkeeper, but I think... Like, Roy, Roy Keane has been on the record as saying, I, I didn't, didn't care if I played with a striker who didn't run one little bit. If they scored 25, 30 goals a season, I was happy with that. Is it the same for goalkeepers? If you get me no. X number of clean sheets no. per season... I'm sure the clean sheets aren't a function of just the goalkeeper. They're a function of the whole team's approach to defending. And, like, with respect, Roy wasn't, it turns out, the best judge of players. Like, he was a world-class midfielder, but it turned out he wasn't a brilliant manager. Like... Oh, he's a goal scorer, he's a goal scorer, he's a goal scorer. It's like, well, I mean, come on. That just could be man management skills, though. Maybe he can spot a player but can't, uh, you know, control the dressing room kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know where United go beyond De Gea. Like. Just sign a goalkeeper who knows what Ten Hag wants and, and can do stuff. Like, we, you know, you would hope that they have better scouting than uh, us who are casually watching a league and a half across Europe. Mm. Do you know, they should be able to find a goalkeeper who can do whatever Ten Hag needs. Yeah, no, it's fair. Um, like, there's going to be a lot of United fans this morning tuning in and going, why are they in the red? Yeah, well, that's what I'm asking. So, come on, give me, give me the reasons why they're in the red. Because, well, like, they had an OK season. They lost the cup final. The trouble here is that it's Man City that are doing it to them, right? Like, you know, you actually would... It would be much worse if it was Liverpool about to win the treble. I understand that. But if, uh, if Man City's lawyers manage somehow to make whatever the punishment is for the alleged breaches that they have uh, been involved in... Um, uh, so small that they're not ever going to go away, which is possible, right? Or even if they go away for a season because of it, they're never really going to go away. And so Ten Hag has to be an absolute genius and all of the signings need to work out. Yeah. Like, you know, Anthony needs to take a step next year to 
being a goal scorer and a creator. Whoever comes in now to replace whoever leaves needs to be really good from the get-go. And are they going to have any money? So like that that's the one thing that would have me thinking... Um, there's no guarantee that next season offers significant progress from this season. I, I think the green, the green things are Anthony has improved. Uh, Ten Hag is clearly a very good manager. If Kane and, and Mount come in, that improves the team. Martinez was missing at the weekend and Anthony was missing at the weekend. Veghorst will be gone. Maguire will be gone. There'll be some dead wood gone next season. The red things are the ownership situation is, is a mess. It's dragging on far too long. Um, and that's probably leaving the transfers a little bit up in the air. Um, so, it, it, and there is not also, really. but like you also did lose the FA Cup final. Like yeah. they did lose, and they were so off the pace of City. Like watching that game, there was v- maybe like once or twice where United actually looked like they were going to score from that. I think they had three shots on target across the entire game. City dominated in possession. They looked comfortable. They looked like they could just like go up another gear. And like, yeah, obviously there is all the money thing which should be talked about and has to be talked about but like also a Manchester United fan sitting back and saying I you know this is this is a good place for us to be right now is not the sort of Manchester United that we're used to and for me at the end of the season I think that's a very good reason for them to be in the red including all the stuff you just mentioned Mm. and the fact that like across the club it's like it's also just not the men's team as well like it's the women's team where they had a very productive season but now we don't know how they're going to be able to build on it build on it whatsoever like the official supporters group at the weekend was writing to the club and saying well here we keep talking about like how the men's side are going to benefit from this supposed ownership takeover but nowhere has it actually said that you know they're going to improve where the team are playing they're going to improve facilities they're going to give money for transfers coming in like United are likely going to lose one of their best players in Alessio Russo this summer and they also can't plan to how they're going to replace her because everything is up in the air and there are the green shoots and maybe you're right during what you say in that you need every signing to work out but you could also look at it in the sense of uh, Arsenal and what Arteta has done and taking those few years and building but there needs to be that support there and because that support is unknown at the moment we can't. We have no idea how United are going to do next season. It's a bit up in the air, isn't it? What do you want for the ownership? Uh, like Jim Ratcliffe, I was speaking to a mate of mine who's a United fan the weekend, and he was like, he couldn't believe I was saying Jim Ratcliffe. He was like, "Do you not want? Do you not want the money in from Qatar?" I was like, "No." Like I've given out enough about about Newcastle and the Saudis. I can't exactly be a hypocrite and say I'd I'd love the Qatari money. Football fans, Shane, think you'll find that the hypocrisy goes uh, hand in hand. Yeah, and look, not that any of these rich people's look. It's all a bit dirty in in, in a sense. But I mean, lesser two evils to a degree. Like I think a lot of United fans are split on that. It's fifty fifty. But uh, we'll see in the next couple of months. I think they probably would have been in amber maybe overall for me United. But I can see the argument for them being in red. So who else is in red? Yeah, we're going to put me. Uh, in the red as well, the, the Meath ladies specifically, because Davy Nelson stepping aside um, at the weekend. And the statement, by the way, was just a little bit strange. Uh, so the Meath senior ladies team in the middle of the, the championship, in the middle of the, the year essentially, uh, on the lookout for a new management team. So the county board confirming Nelson and his assistants uh, will not be in charge at the start of the All-Ireland series that begins later this month. Uh, they're going to play Waterford. Um, so they finished second from bottom in Division 1 of the league this year, Meath, and then lost to Dublin in the Leinster final last weekend. Granted, the performances haven't been great, and, and certainly uh, compared to the Meath performances of the last couple of years... You'd, you'd, you've won win in like seven games or something? Yeah, it's not good, but I mean, 
you surely see out the summer and see how the summer goes. Teams, uh, it's happened before, teams come good. Kerry in 2009 were famously in the men's side of things, poor, and then we all know what happened, they went on and win the All-Ireland. Um, and they're only three weeks out from that game against Waterford, no management now. There's talk that uh, Eamon Murray, who of course Stevie Nelson and his management team replaced, is potentially considering coming back out of retirement and entering the setup. That was in the Meath Chronicle, certainly, uh, over the weekend. Uh, as one option. I wonder are they trying to manifest that though at this stage like as a solution because if they don't get him back mm. then you've got a temporary management team in place two weeks out from the start of the championship with a side who you know shorn of um, uh, some superstar talent but like back to back defending champions that's a big deal you know. Yeah. Uh, the writing was on the wall probably when they were involved in that relegation uh, playoff against Donegal in the league and you're thinking well, me should be pushing for a, for a Division 1 title here they shouldn't be trying to stay up but if that was the case I'd, like it just seems so late on to be doing it like a 100%. couple of weeks out from the championship he was only in for 8 months was it starting in October mm-hmm. last year um, and the fact that like it's the entire team so you're not even leaving someone there to kind of you know take up the baton and kind of fill the gap while you try and get someone else in because that statement wasn't particularly clear and the fact of it like was it the Meath board that was saying we don't want you anymore was it players was it the they had enough you know like uh, did they walk away it's definitely uh, there. there's some reporting still to be done on this situation mm. because um, they said with regret Meath LGFA announced that the county senior management will not be taking the team forward um, so yeah the, the phrase is, is a bit strange um, head coach Mark Brennan gone as well you, you just wonder now the report on Eamon Murray from the Meath Chronicle was that he could be convinced to come out of retirement Right. so it's certainly quite vague Um it's like they're reporting about Brendan Rodgers this morning across yeah, all of it. Could he be could be convinced. <laughs> yes, you wonder, but uh, yeah, I think I think for that reason and that reason alone, as, as Kathleen says, uh, in the middle of the uh, of the year when the championship is just around the corner, that's probably why Meath deserve to be in the red. So it's uh, it's worrying. It was uh, Fergal Lynch, the sports editor of the yeah. Meath Chronicle, who was reporting that um, Amy Murray could be could be convinced. Um, so yeah, that is the story with that, and we'll get to Brendan Rodgers in a minute because. Um, mm-hmm. We're moving on to the Amber. Yeah. And uh, Celtic, I think. Oh, we'll look, we're right there right now. Straight away. What a segue. Um, Celtic, of course, in the Amber because from a green perspective, I guess, uh, seeing a record-breaking eighth domestic treble, that 3-1 win over Inverness Cali Thistle uh, over the weekend as well, um, and a fifth treble in seven years, which, I mean, just isn't bad. Ange Postacoglu winning, was it, uh, I mean, all but one of the available trophies to him in his, in his time in charge at Celtic. Um, and f- from the moment Kyogo Furuhashi scores that opening goal, you're thinking, "Okay, this is this is game over." Inverness made it a little bit interesting, pulling one back at at a uh, two-one. But uh, certainly, from a Celtic perspective, great weekend, except for the fact that, of course, Ange Postecoglou, the man the fans love, the man who has been involved in so much good recruitment, the man that has brought a, an attacking style of play to uh, Celtic Park that fans have just fallen in love with, is uh, is out the gap. Um, certainly, he was very vague in his post-match press conference after the match of the weekend saying, you know, I just want to enjoy this for the next 24, 48 hours until someone grabs me by the collar and says, we got to talk about your future. Because um, he's going on a family holiday, I think, today, Ange Postacoglu. So you'd imagine the discussions will have been quite intense yesterday with Tottenham. Um, but it seems, according to reports this morning, that uh, it's all but over the line. Uh, we just need to see Ange essentially holding a Tottenham Hotspur jersey. And that's the, the last little step. Um, two-year contract seems to be the, the discussion coming out of North London. Um, it's a great deal for Spurs I said last week in the show I, I felt Dan should, should probably stay and avoid the the potential mess that is uh, Mr Levy's Tottenham 
but I mean I can see why he took the job at the same time Yeah well he wants to be in the Premier League and realistically at the moment that's probably the best job out there I mean I still I'm curious as to how this one is supposedly supposed to work if he's the sort of manager who doesn't like that much over over people overseeing him all that much because you look at the way Spurs have conducted themselves over the last couple of years and the involvement of Daniel Levy that doesn't sound like the sort of club that Ange will I'm not sure about that I think that Levy tends to do the business of the football club in terms of um length of contracts and transfers but he's not down saying that oh, I don't like your uh, three attacking players or we can't sign these players like it did look like um the Paratici when he was there had free reign to sign within within the budget so that's that's kind of how it works like everybody has a boss somewhere like even Levy has a boss you know You'd, yeah and you can you can understand things completely from Ange Postecoglou's perspective the question for, from Celtic's point of view is who the hell do they go to next Brendan Rodgers is he the obvious one well no I, not at all but Rodgers has been linked with it here on the back of the mirror, or the back of the star today, and and other places. Mm. One of the I'm like what? One of the, my one of my mates from home, who's a big, big, big Celtic fan. I asked him at the weekend, "Who do you want?" And he said straight away, without hesitation, Brendan Rodgers. Um, David Moyes is a is, is another name that's been linked. Graham Potter is available. Frank Lampard's available. Ooh, like, no, these are not the same things. No, Celtic fans will probably want continuity as well. Like John Kennedy is obviously highly thought of, but Andrew will more than likely want him at Spurs as well was he not there beforehand did he not was he did, uh, so I don't know is, is Curry, did Kennedy join Celtic with Andrew was he predate? I think uh, he predates him doesn't he he possibly predates him but certainly he's been under that management team Harry Kuehl has been one of the senior coaches as well so he brought him with him so Graham Garton was on Saturday saying that basically apart from Kuehl everybody was there already Strachanson mm. and it sounded like Kennedy and the, so basically he can work with anybody essentially uh, like, he seems like a man who can get on with anyone and um, now, which of those names is most likely, if you're to believe the bookies, it's Brendan Rodgers. Rodgers wants to take a year out of football, was what um, they're saying in the piece in the Star today. But um, but who knows? Yeah. And then, look, Kyogo Furuhashi as well. Like, the the rumours are that, of course, Ange wants to bring him with him. Mm. Uh, and Kyogo, I'm sure, would not turn down a move to the Premier League if it, if it came about with a manager who already likes him. Um, so, from a Celtic perspective... It was a good weekend in that they saw the silverware, but yeah, worrying times until they find a successor that uh, I guess all the fan base gets behind. So Kennedy, Celtic. Yeah, Kennedy has been at Celtic since 2010, 2010 under some capacity. Which actually it could be an interesting, I mean, he's been a caretaker manager before, but could be interesting to have someone who's been, like, spent so long with the team and also with so many different various parts with it. Like, he's worked with the under 19s, he was a scout, um, he worked with the, the development squad. Uh, and he then became first team coach in 2014. So uh, Jesse Marsh, another name that's been uh, been linked, um, and Enzo Moresca as well, former Italian midfielder. You'd hope that they did the same thing they did the last time, and and that they're using their um, scouting department to find the next Ange. Like that seems to have worked pretty well. Yeah, as he said himself, he was a joke. He was a joke when he came in, or a joke figure. No one knew who he was. It was who's, the, who's the guy from the Japanese J League and the Australian A League? But uh, clearly, uh, the scouting works in terms of managers as well. So it will remain to be seen over the next coming days who Selic opt for. Also in the amber, we're going to go with this morning in Gaelic Games. And I know we have Anthony Moyles coming up on the show later on. But um, we're going to touch on the All-Ireland contenders, I guess. Would you call it a race to the bottom, maybe, <laughs> in the Sam Maguire this year? Because none of them really want to power ahead and show it. Galway are the only unbeaten team 
in the in the championship this year of of those contenders that you, you would say. So for me, Galway are top of the. Well, they only have won every game. The which? The only, the yeah, the only thing that sorry won every game. Um, so from that perspective, you probably have Galway top of the pile. Like Kerry, sorry. The reason that they're, they're all in amber is that their injuries are beginning to mount up. Yeah, so we Galway saw are part of that. Galway, Finnerty, and and Walsh. We saw uh, Kerry have had some injury issues. The Dubs don't look the same team when they don't have McCaffrey. Uh, mm. Like now, in fairness, in the second half, they were uh, pretty impressive against Kildare. And other than that, who else have we got? Mayo. Um, like I did say, on the, not playing. Killian O'Connor still not back. Well, this is it. But uh, like I said in the quick picks of the weekend or before the weekend, I said the Mayo Live game will be much closer than people realise. But that that like, a lot of that is down to Castlebar. I just thought Mickey Hart would be up for it, um, and, and the, the style of play maybe doesn't suit Mayo. It, they seem to struggle playing against certain styles of play. This Mayo team, um, and I know it was a late. Loud goal to get them back into the game, and, and they pushed up a Connor Grimes. They were never the that far off them either. Like there was two points in it for most of the yeah. game, and like Loud were kind of keeping fairly toe to toe with them, um, and, and like no one expected that at all. Like I was chatting to Colin Boyle before it started, and he was like, "This is going to be an absolute whitewash," which may as well have been a bit of the Mayo fog coming over him. <laughs> but you know, Nathan was making the point on Sunday that with Mayo they don't often whenever they have to come up against a top team like a Kerry they can put in the performance but when someone has to bring them down to their level they don't adjust as well and like the way that Loud defends just totally it looked like Mayo didn't know what to do and it was a completely opposite performance to what they had against Kerry mm, You'd be concerned if you were a Mayo fan a little bit from the performance of the weekend but then again they get over the line they got the win move on but You also wonder as well how much Mayo fans actually really cared about it like I think there was less than 10,000 people in Castlebar and like it's a lot, lot of nice, lot of nice beaches in Mayo. You know, a lot, <laughs> yeah. lot of other things to do on uh, of a Sunday. Yeah, um, it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah, and then you look at teams. There are teams. Could this be a year where maybe a team comes in under the radar and wins in All Ireland? Like Tyrone. Well, Tyrone and Roscommon and Monaghan are going about their business very quietly. Little whispers. Um, I'm not saying either though, either those three teams are necessarily going to win in All Ireland. But uh, well, I think Tyrone have a chance. You know, they certainly know how to do it as a, as a squad and as a management team. But you would say that any of those three teams in that tier uh, all have the opportunity to to knock off one of the top seeds. Yeah, like in on All Ireland quarter final weekend, all three of those teams are going to believe that they have a very good chance of beating whoever it is that they come up against. And particularly if you're Roscommon, mm-hmm. who are probably going through the front door this stage. Are they? Yeah, based well, on the scoring difference after the Sligo game, although Dublin had a, what was it, nine point win over Kildare as well. So Sorry, actually, there. Yeah. Well, that'll go down to the last there. game regardless. Yeah, it'll like, go down. There's a point and a difference between the two at the moment. Yeah, so it's unexpected to rack up a big score in the last one. So Possibly. Yeah. And the same in the Monaghan Derry group. They're, they're level on, on head to head and points, and I think it's points scored that Monaghan have a slight advantage. But yeah, that'll go down to the last game. That bye week is going to be really important to get players back. That's like it, it's going to end up. It it could end up being quite a serious thing to finish first versus second because if you have an extra week and all of a sudden a player who's not available is available, that's the difference between winning the quarterfinal and buying a bit of time for yourself. And also the difference in finish second and third is is humongous in getting that home advantage. Like you'd imagine, three or four of those uh, matches will go towards the home team. Uh, I'd be shocked if, if if any more than one or two of those away teams won those preliminary uh, round robin games. So um, that remains to be seen. So, so the, yeah, the weekend after next is huge in the football side of things. Okay, uh, moving on to the green. Um, and first up in the green is Tom McKibben. 
Uh, what a performance from him at the weekend. Uh, 20 years of age, Tom McKibben as well, but you wouldn't know it to, to, to watch him at the weekend. Held his nerve in Hamburg, uh, claiming his first DP World Tour title win. Two-stroke victory at the uh, Porsche European Open. And you have to remember as well that the two players that were kind of chasing him and hounding him for the for the duration of the final round, Max Kiefer and Marcel Seem, both German, both home favourites, um, and both desperately, desperately under pressure from the, the home fans to, to get over the line. Um, a 15-year wait as well for a German winner on home soil. Um, and, and the three of them stared, shared the lead at one stage in the back nine, but it was McKibben. Uh, made, makes the turn on three under par, drops shots in the 11th and 13th holes. Uh, and you're thinking, uh, he's 20 years of age, that might affect him a little bit. But then Birdie on the 15th, moves clear and he had under. Um, earned his card for 2023 as well on the uh, European Challenge Tour, graduated from that. Uh, he's, of course, a Hollywood Golf Club member as well similar to one Rory McIlroy um, and I mean he's just impressive and, and, and even listen to his interview afterwards um, talking about approaching the final days the same as the first three days and that sounds like such a simple thing to say but at 20 years of age to have the, 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 the wherewithal on the back nine to, to do what he did and he talked about on, on 18 he said my hands were alright I hit five iron I picked a club I knew wouldn't go in the water right edge of the green and if it turned over I knew it would go further so I had no worries but it was such a good shot it felt pretty amazing talking about he felt he always was good enough to win but you, you can feel that but you have to actually get over the line and Tommy Kibben now mm. has got over the line I thought he was so impressive in his post-match or his post-game interview like just the way he was talking about the methodical way he thought through every single shot and where someone else he was like I know from the outside people are probably looking at that shot and thinking it was extremely difficult or I should have tried something easier but he was like I, I knew I had it in me and I knew that that was the best shot for me in that moment so I went for it and like he wasn't even saying it in a like I'm great sort of way it was just a innate confidence in himself and where he's at and like for to hear a 20 year old speaking like that as well was yeah. absolutely mad and even his uh, he, he spoke afterwards about missing cuts by a single shot and very near misses in other tournaments as well and how much he's learned from those things and um at 20 years of age if you're not learning from your failures yeah. you're not going to go too far that's ah, incredibly has. exciting and um, you know the fact that he also comes from Hollywood and all those comparisons with McElroy are going to be very difficult for him to shake off but hopefully he wins more majors exactly so but also they seem to have been leaning into it as well over the last couple of years like you know McElroy has been very much helping him along he's been getting invited to various different events and you know, he has already had that tagline for long enough that it seems that if he's starting to actually compete now, it's something he's adjusted to rather than something he has to start adjusting to. Yeah, I think though it'll be way more prominent. Mm. Like um, it's in all the papers, um, and and hopefully he just enjoys it. Yeah, and sorry, someone said in the comments as well uh, that he should be higher in the uh, the green, greener than Money City, greener than Money City. But look, that's not really how we we do it, is it? Like if you're in the no, green, you're not, in the green. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the shades of green, ignore. They don't those. matter. They don't matter. Yeah, Tom McKibben, yeah. he's as green as can be. Um, McKibben in the green, and also in the green this morning. We've already touched on them, but, Manchester but, uh, City. but who's he going to play for in the Olympics? That's the big question this morning. We haven't answered why we know why. Uh, <laughs> That'll show us how well, green Well, talk needs to answer this. <laughs> yeah. All the questions. Why are you ignoring the big questions? <laughs> Here we go. Uh, no, also in the green, deservedly. Manchester City. Um, I, I like superlatives. I'm not really going to use them, but uh, John Stones was brilliant at the weekend. Uh, Jack Grealish, his interview afterwards, filling Stones full of praise. Uh, after the 12 seconds, I think most people are sitting there in shock going, what's just happened? Uh, and Gundogan's strike was brilliant. Um, the second goal... I probably could question David De Gea's positioning and, and certainly United's marking on the edge of the box but you can't take away from the City result and performance and they got over the line and, and they've only one leg left of this uh, this treble this precedented treble I should say 
Pep Guardiola in tears as well. Um, but there's just so much positivity from Manchester City perspective as well, all, uh, notwithstanding all the um, financial uh, irregularities to be investigated. And, uh, Do you know what I thought was really interesting? Across the papers at the weekend, they were talking about City winning the FA Cup, but no one was actually talking about the fact that City won the FA Cup. It was almost like the there was nothing on the line on Saturday apart from United stopping City and City then going into the Champions League with the perspective of the, the treble on yeah. the line. And also, like, I don't think I read one article that mentioned the financial irregularities and I was like, have we already got to the stage where City are winning these things? And it just... It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't factor in. It's not even like a line at the end of a article saying like, and of course, City yeah. is still under investigation. Yeah, it, it's a strange one, isn't it? Um, yeah, the financial irregular, irregularities have to be mentioned. Uh, there, there has to be an asterisk put over until we know the results of this. Um, and yet, look, City fans are going to sit there going, "Well, look, performances on the pitch still brilliant," um, and they are. And Pep Guardiola, well, he's already said, hasn't he, that he's going to stay on. For another year after this season, because kind of some people are thinking, you know, he might walk into the sunset and uh, dance his merry way to uh, to another year's break. But um, from a city perspective, the Bruyne are brilliant as well, albeit well marshaled by by Fred for for some portions of the game. Fred had an, only an okay match, but he certainly proved at Old Trafford earlier this season. He can he can, he can track. The probably Bruyne. one of the most impressive performances over the weekend. Yeah, thought, like I know he wasn't able to keep on De Bruyne for the whole match. I think like after about an hour, he kind of started to drift off him a bit, mm. but. And Haaland wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't the imperious. He was pretty quiet. He was quiet enough. Greenish like, as well was quiet enough in parts. He was. Um, yeah, there was little moments and flashes of brilliance as you're always going to get from, from Grealish. And I think Haaland's main uh, moment was when he takes the ball into the corner uh, towards the end of the match and gives a little fist bump as Haaland tends to do when he wins a corner or a throw-in. Um, but City, yeah, going into the Champions League final next weekend against Inter with, with history beckoning. All guns blazing. Right, yeah. that's this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAM's performance rankings with Gillette. OTBAM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, it's seven minutes past eight, and we're turning our attention to the big story in English football at the moment, which is whether or not Ange Postacoglu is going to be uh, formally announced today, or is it uh, going to be another 24 hours? Martin Lipton is with us. Martin, it looks like this is a done deal for Spurs, is it? Well, it seems that way, yeah. I mean, there's lots of uh, negotiations. A deal appears to be done between Tottenham and Postacoglu. Uh, suggestions last night that uh, Celtic have signed it off as well. So uh, the last issue, I guess, is over who, which members of his coaching backroom team he can take with him. But it, it looks like there's going to be an announcement either today or tomorrow. But what is apparent and evident is that Postacoglu is the new manager of Spurs. Come on, only 72 days, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, if they if they'd uh, signed him immediately and waited until the end of the season for it to all go through, it would have looked like they knew what they were doing. However, notwithstanding that, right, there is a possibility they've got a really really good manager here. Look, I think he's proven um, in Australia, uh, in Japan, and now in in uh, in Scotland that he knows what it takes to win. He's done a very good job. You know, winning titles in all those countries did a good job with Australia, um, and. Spurs need a reset. That's absolutely certain. Uh, they've had drift and dither for far too long. Um, it needs a project manager in the mould of Pochettino. The issue, of course, is we'll find out whether Postacoglu is in that mould. Uh, but what I, you know, when I talk to the Scottish reporters who, who cover Celtic regularly, they're very effusive about him and 
complementary and say that he's really made a massive difference and Tottenham needs someone who can make a massive difference. I think generally speaking, Martin, the reaction from Spurs fans has been a positive one to, to this uh, news, but are there any reservations? I, I guess the the lack of experience for Ange or success in European football maybe is one thing. I know Spurs won't be in European club football next season, but is that one concern maybe? I think it's fear of the unknown more than anything else. I mean, some of them wanted a big name, even though big names clearly haven't worked particularly well for the last uh, two or three seasons. Others, you know, think that the, the person that they themselves want should get the job come what may. It's not like that. Look, it's pretty clear that Arna Slot was the first, real real first choice, as it were, once they settled on a target. He looked like he was going to come, and that didn't happen. So now it looks as though... For some people, they're getting, you know, somebody down the list. But they weren't that keen on Pochettino originally. In fact, they wanted Van Gaal at the club. And um, it was only when he turned them down that they ended up with Pochettino, who, without question, was the best Tottenham manager of the entire Premier League era, which is now 30 years. The style of play that Ange Postacoglu adapts as well, that'll be really fascinating. Presumably, he just carbon copies one to the other. But... um it would suit a lot of these Spurs players and the talk of Kyogo Farahashi potentially joining uh, Ange at Spurs as well is an exciting one. Well, to use the, the phrase of a poet who wasn't particularly complimentary of Ireland, but uh, the same answer did gain a power must it maintain. Um, you know, this is how he got the job by playing in a certain way. It would be foolish for him to go, you know, try to reverse course if that's what he's good at. If it, and also, there is not a single Tottenham fan who would not welcome and embrace a team that actually tries to score in the first 20 minutes? That'd be quite a novel concept. Um, you know, there was, front foot football is, is really important, I think, to Tottenham fans. We haven't seen it. They haven't seen it for too long. Now, Postacoglu will bring front foot football. It may not necessarily be immediately successful. Remember, you know, there, was, there was talk of Pochettino being ditched after five weeks because he lost lost a couple of games. It, nothing is that easy. But I do think that by embracing an attacking philosophy, by trying to get players to play in the right direction rather than backwards and sideways, it won't be long before the fans really take to that. Obviously, people have been thinking about what Harry Kane would look like in this scenario. And if they play three up front, that could be brilliant for him. If he, if he is intent on breaking those records and... Uh, because it, 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 the conversation has switched from uh, Bayern Munich want him, he's not that interested. Uh, Manchester United want him, that could be difficult to get the deal done with Levy. Real Madrid want him, harder to turn down. But now it's also, he's only got a year left. Sit out for the year and take the money yourself. Well, that's what I think will happen. Um, and he may then sign a new deal and stay at Spurs. Let's find out. We may decide to go. There isn't a single Tottenham fan who would begrudge Harry Kane's decision, whatever that decision is. Let's, let's put it in those terms straight away. Uh, the question of will Harry Kane flourish in a Postacogli system? Harry Kane will flourish in any system because he's that good. He just scores goals. He scored 30 goals this season in the worst Spurs team of the last 10 years. That's how good he is. They were terrible. And yet, in any other season, he'd have been top scorer in the, whole, in the, in the entire Premier League. You know, this was a freak season where Holland would score 36 but Kane's performances were I would argue outshone those of Holland because he was playing with a load of rubbish um, and that's why he 
is thinking of, of considering his future because he's given an entire career to Tottenham and far too often Tottenham have let him down. I, I think that it could be the perfect time then for Postacoglu in a way to come in, still have Harry Kane, still have Youngman's son, be able to play with Charleston. Maybe, maybe they um, sign somebody else and, and uh, the attacking trio isn't just the obvious attacking trio who are at the club at the moment. But it is possible that they all have great seasons playing front foot football in front of a stadium that is on fire because, as you say, they've been starved of this for so long. And that actually, that's the type of thing that inspires Kane to stay and spend the rest of it. So I guess what I'm saying is the full range of outcomes, as you've outlined, are now back on the table when it felt like actually this relationship was naturally coming to an end. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 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 look, I might be entirely wrong here. And he can, tomorrow, I actually, I want to leave and go and play for Rochdale. But I, I think in his heart of hearts, Harry Kane would love to spend his entire career at Tottenham as long as he could win some trophies. He wants to win a trophy. He wants to be the all-time Premier League top scorer. He's already the all-time England top scorer. He would love to win a trophy with England as well. There's fewer opportunities to do that, as we know, although there's one coming up uh, next summer in the Euros, assuming they they qualify. If he could, he was he would stay. But you know, two years ago, with the when City came calling, it was I always said it wasn't so much that he wanted to leave as that he felt he couldn't stay. And City messed it around and messed up a, a pretty easy transfer when it was simple that put the money on the table, you get the player. They didn't do that. They tried to play silly games with Daniel Levy, who decided, right, that's it, I'm not going to sell. He had more cards in his hand then, obviously, with three years left on the contract. I think that Levy knows if he sold K now, unless it is Real Madrid, because no one says, you know, it, no one would no blown leave if he sold to Real Madrid. He would, they, he would get inordinate stick if he sold to another Premier League club, which I think rules that out. Um, so it's, it is a, a dilemma for Tottenham, but also at the same time, they've got the best English striker of potentially of all time. I'm not saying he is, because that's a you know, matter of conjecture and opinion. But I would argue he's certainly in the conversation of the greatest Eng- English strikers of all time. Why not keep him? You mentioned there, and we've spoken before, Martin, about Kane's desire to, to beat Alan Shearer's Premier League goal-scoring record. But as you say, if a team like Real Madrid comes in, it is tough to turn them down and the talk of Karim Benzema potentially leaving the Bernabeu only adds fuel to that fire. Um, so is Real Madrid a realistic option given the, the desire to hit, to hit that Shearer goal-scoring record? Well, think of that shit we are. If you put this way, how about this? You go to Real Madrid, you sign a three-year deal, but after two, you come back to Tottenham and you score your 40 goals over the next four seasons in your late in mid to late 30s. That's a viable option, potentially. You get your chance to win trophies with Real Madrid because you're going to be in the top two, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're always going to be competing for the league title and the Champions League with Real Madrid. So that might be a, a situation. I'm not saying that is going to happen, by the way. I'm just floating a hypothesis there. Um, but he he is desperate to beat Shearer's record. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I do think, given the reality that players tend to move around more now than they did then... If he does beat Shearer's record, that record may last forever. Are trophies at Tottenham the ambition next season, Martin? Or what's the ambition? Because eighth place finish this season, missing out in European football. Like, what's the what's the number one thing? Is it to get top four? or Is it to win trophies? Look, 
at Christmas, Spurs looked favourites for the top four. They should have they should have been a top four side this season. The implosion was due to a number of factors, starting with the the manager deciding to blow up the entire squad because he basically wanted to go back, wanted to go home to Italy. So, with the goals in in the in the attacking lineup, they could be okay. But look at the, the rivals: Arsenal, City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, Newcastle, you know, it, it isn't actually that easy anymore. The ambition will be top four. Only playing one game a week possibly makes that easier. Um, and the demands of Champions League, for example, will really tell, I think, on Arsenal because they need a bigger squad and they, you know, they struggled with the squad they had this season trying to play Premier League and Europa League where you can play the reserves. Well, they, you know, if they're stretching that the Champions League football as well and that intensity, that's going to have an impact on them. So they need significant um, strengthening. Um, what we're going to see with Chelsea, nobody really knows. Um, but the ambition's got to be top four. Yeah, whether they make it's another matter. I think aiming for top four and falling just short of playing good football would be a significant move forward from what we've seen this year. Can I ask you about a few of the... Um potential successes for Postacoglu. At one stage, uh, Celtic actually wanted Eddie Howe and were waiting a significant period of time to get him to come and then they end up with Postacoglu. Um, Brendan Rodgers has said he wants to take a year out in the style of Eddie Howe, taking some significant time away from uh, a relegated side has proven to be a good idea for Howe in, in terms of his perception and also you know, giving him the opportunity to refresh uh, Rodgers is being linked with Celtic. It seems a little bit maybe as a, a knee-jerk to what's gone on. Where is Brendan Rodgers at the moment when it comes to potential big jobs in English or European football, in your view, Martin? Uh, I think it's difficult for him to go into a really big job unless he goes to Celtic, but that's a step back. And, you know, never step, never never go back is often a phrase used in football. You're judged by your achievements first time around. Uh, and... Whilst Brendan was undoubtedly successful um, at, at Celtic, you have to remember that this was in the time when Rangers were coming back from their enforced demotion to the the, the pits of, of despair in League Three, um, and they weren't the same force they are now. I think Brendan would probably benefit with waiting until Christmas and then see what's available, because I think something will be available uh, in the Premier League, which is I think is his his preferred place to work. Would he be offered a job in Europe? I'm not so sure. Not in a major league, probably. So I think his smartest play is to just give his, give himself a few months, rest, recuperate, recover his energy um, and wait for the, the, the door to knock and the ha- phone to ring. Has his reputation been damaged by the Leicester situation? I don't think so, actually. I mean, look at the, the Leicester situation from his perspective is I won the FA Cup with Leicester City. And yes, we were relegated, but I wasn't in charge when we were relegated. I still think we could have got out of it. Um, other factors hastened that, you know, the, the impact of, of the pandemic on the owners of the club who run a duty-free business or the are the duty-free operators in Thailand was significant, more than significant. It hampered Leicester City. So they were, I think you could say they're the last victims of COVID almost. David Moyes is, is one of the other names that... Um... I don't know if this is, again, wishful thinking. Is David Moyes going to be out of a job if West Ham win this competition? Because it sounds like he's talking about planning for next season. I, I just can't read that situation very well. I think that his admission 
the other week that, and I know you might think his the statement of the bleeding obvious, but his admission that Declan Rice was unlikely to be at West Ham last season would not have gone down well with the owners. Because I think they would argue that by saying that, he actually reduced the asking price. Right. Because he's really made it. And I think that might be used. Uh, I hope not. And I think it would be very hard to get rid of him if they win on uh, win tomorrow night. But if they were to lose to Fiorentina, which I think is a it's not an unreasonable suggestion that they might lose to Fiorentina, although it's one of those games that could go either way. I think he may well be a casualty of war. And, uh, you know, would that would Celtic be a job that interests him at this stage of his career? It's so long since he was up in Scotland that you could see him doing that um, if he wanted to. And he is a proud Scot. You know, he talks to David and, you know, the, the longer you talk to him, the more the stronger the Scottish accent gets, I think. So, I mean, a part of that would be something that would definitely appeal. You know, he's got a, a, a history with the club. And you can see a justification for him, for him making that, that move if there's nothing else available. But, you know, will Celtic pay the sort of money that even a mid-sized Premier League club would pay? I'm not so sure. Uh, bear with me, Martin, uh, as I throw this one at you, uh, because a couple of names that uh, were linked with Tottenham at the weekend, albeit very transfer rumour linked. Uh, James Madison and Harry Maguire. Will there be any interest in North London for for one or both? I think they certainly look to explore them. I, I think Madison's a great player, uh, and Tottenham desperately need a 10. That's what was, you know, ever since Ericsson left, they haven't had a number 10. Those sales, they didn't do it. Uh, Ndombele didn't do it. Now, they're both back now, but not for very long, I don't think, uh, after their loan spells. So, yeah, that would be an option. Uh, as for Maguire, well, if it's... I wouldn't have a problem with Maguire. But to be honest, he's a very, very solid player. He's not had a great time at Manchester United, but he's still key cornerstone of England. You know exactly what you're going to get for it, from him. And if you... He's a sort of, you know, a change of manager, a change of environment, a change of uh, everything around him may be really good and make him go back to be the player he was at Leicester. He will never be the quickest player on the pitch, but he knows his position and there's a different level of expectation at Tottenham to United. Spurs fans would really invade the centre-half with his physicality and his, his determination to win the ball. I mean, I think that's what's been lacking, actually. Um, the one they've got who does that is Romero, but he ha- sometimes I wonder if there's anything between his ears because he doesn't think about where he's making silly tackles. Now, every ten- defender does make a kamikaze tackle occasionally, and that's part of the, of the nature of the beast. But I think Maguire makes him in smarter places, um, and he doesn't make as many reckless challenges as Romero does. Do we expect a significant transfer, Kitty, this summer for Spurs? I think there has to be. More importantly, they have to get rid that they create the kitty by selling players. But remember, Tottenham have a, a huge income stream that other clubs don't have. So this season, just gone, they'd have grossed, I think, in excess of half a billion pounds in all forms of income, which includes gate money of five to six million every home game. Um, they can afford to spend. They still uh, have the lowest uh, wages to revenue uh, ratio of the entire of the entire Premier League, so they have the ability to spend, but they wouldn't new need to get rid of Sanchez and uh, probably one of the midfielders. I think uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Hoberg went because I think Desuma and Bentancur can be the first choice duo. 
or two in, in that in that midfield uh, area. I think that uh, Tanganga goes, Perisic goes, Moore has already gone. There's a few to get rid of. Um, the uh, Devin Raya has been permanently linked basically since the I don't know maybe five six weeks into the season as the natural successor to Hugo Lloris there's been a lot of smoke around this is it going to happen are they pulling the trigger on that or does everything get suspended until Postacoglu comes in and goes yeah uh, that's fine he he fits I think to a degree that the manager is final choice but clearly there's been ongoing conversations Raya uh, wants to go to Tottenham Brentford have already bought his successor from Freiburg the asking price at the moment is 40. It's haggle time. Uh, that'd be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? Matthew Benham and Dave and Daniel Le- Levy in the same room arguing over a few bob. Um, Mikey, I think actually having money on Benham. But there we go. Um, but I think it's likely that a deal will be done. Luis is clearly uh, going to go. And he's been a great seven. He's done 11 years at Tottenham. It's time to move on. Um, so that's good. You know, let's not be, no one be critical. Uh, uh, Luis's performances over the bulk of his time at Tottenham have been of the highest standard. He's a major reason that Pochettino's team was so successful, or so close to being successful, to be more accurate. Um, but Raya looks like the real deal, and Spurs seem to be, from everything I'm hearing, front runners for that. So I wouldn't be, I, I would be surprised if he isn't at, at Tottenham next season, which obviously is a kiss of death, and he'd end up playing for somebody else, but it looks that way. Uh, Martin, step two of three of Manchester City's treble completed the weekend. Uh, what did you make of the cup final? Generally speaking, like the City performance was was, I guess, acceptable and and very good in parts as well. And and you look at the likes of John Stones was brilliant, um, and just a remarkable start to the match as well. Yeah, I mean, what a what a hit for the first goal. Six and a half out of ten, I'd say the performance was by City standards, mm. um, because that's they knew that's all they needed to win. Uh, I've been saying to people that they won, they've already won the treble. They won the treble when they beat Real Madrid because that was the only, the only test they had left. Um, and since then they've, they've completed the Premier League, which they virtually won. They've won the FA Cup, which I thought they were always going to win. And I can't see how they don't beat Inter Milan because they're better from one to 11. In fact, they're better from one to 18. Um, so they do what they have to do. I, I'd love them to play with their their absolute A game on Saturday in Istanbul because we could be treated to something truly special. Um, and they weren't great, I don't think, on Saturday, but they didn't need to be. I mean, they were always better. Um, United were given a helping hand. A couple of shaky moments at the back. I think they looked less shaky with Edison in goal than Ortega. That's not to decry Ortega, but Emerson gives them far more certainty and assuredness and so that will be back in on uh, on Saturday otherwise I think it probably goes with the same team I don't think he necessarily changes it he might make the odd changing game but I mean I think that's his best outfield 11 isn't it outfield 10 um, 100% and, and, and I guess from a City perspective they'll be happy with, with large aspects of it as you say but from a Manchester United perspective Martin Where's the gap? Like, how far off them in the in a league perspective do you think they could be next season? Of course, they're trying to get in Kane, they're trying to get in Mason Mount. Uh, that one looks closer. But is 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 the gulf ever widening, or do you think Eric Ten Hag is the man to narrow it? I think it has narrowed, um, but I think it's a cavernous gap that you can only close incrementally rather than in one jump, um, unless City go backwards, which isn't likely in the short term. Um, so. 
all they can do is try and get closer. You know, they're, they're third this year. They can possibly get second next year. In fact, quite reasonably aim for second next year. They want they can still have a great run in Europe in the in the Champions League. They read they did win a trophy this year, which is positive. They got to a final of another competition. So I think if you're a United fan, it's it's quite positive. If it hadn't been for City, you'd be pretty pleased with this season. The trouble is, it's City who are cleaning up, which therefore alters the dynamics of the way you look at the world. Um, but they're the best team. Look, City have been the best team in Europe for three or four years. They just haven't proven it. Well, this season they will prove it because they're going to win the Champions League because they're the best team in Europe. And they should have won, should have certainly won in at least one, if not two, of the previous three years. We'll leave it there, Martin. Great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Cheers. Bye-bye. So, Martin Lipton giving us his thoughts there on the main stories from the weekend's football. Uh, the, the gap is cavernous, I think, um, but it's closing slightly. Mm. Um, and, and West Ham fans as well, I'd be interested to see. I, I had a couple of Irish West Ham fans on to me at the weekend there saying, I hope, lads, you give the Europa Conference League final a little bit of interest. But I think we will because, I mean, a trophy on the line for Moyes, albeit, as Martin says there, it's hard to know where he ends up next season and the Declan Rice thing <laughs> cutting the the transfer fee I hadn't actually thought of that that you know a manager saying things like that can can have a market effect and lose 5 10 million pounds in value possibly well yeah except that everybody still wants him it appears Bayern Munich are interested and they've created a market for him so um you can't you, you know I don't know maybe everybody gets to agree their fee their um personal terms Anyway, and uh, maybe they just don't sell him to whoever he wants to go to. They don't let him pick. And they say you have to go to Bayern because they've they're spending the most spending the most money, and then the fee just gets matched. Like I don't know. I think I don't think they want to keep him. West Ham. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that. They, I, well, no, not not right. I don't think they want to keep Moyes. Oh right, sorry. Yeah, and I think that um, rightly or wrongly, they think that they can do better. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe Brendan Rodgers ends up at West Ham. Mm. Uh, okay, a few of the ones coming through on this. I was a little sure about Ange at Spurs, this is Bobby Dwyer, but the more I look into him, the more excited I am about it. Bit of a risk because a huge step up for Ange, but hopefully bring some attacking football back to Spurs. Um, Isol Cody says, literally Ange seems like a great guy, an excellent manager who would excel with a good side or even a mediocre one. As a Spurs fan, I'm equally delighted to have him as I feel bad for the damage we will inevitably do to his future managerial prospects. Uh, that's the spirit, Isolt. Um Spurs being a bit Spursy when it comes to Angela's reputation. I think that this might be, you know, film me one shame on you know, keep feeling me. Okay. <laughs> uh, it feels a little bit I don't know. I do think that Ange seems to have the same type of charisma that Pochettino had and so should be able to um bring so many people with him and look, Martin's always talking about how much money they have and how uh is it two NFL games this year and all the concerts? All the concerts. Mm. So look I hope he doesn't lose that charisma because you can see managers sometimes move to the Premier League having been a good manager elsewhere all of a sudden just look lost um, and I really don't want that to happen to Ange Postacogli because he, that's what that, that's his, his variation point from different managers he's got an attitude he's got a character as Brendan Rodgers would say um, and you just hope he holds on to that because you can lose yourself Alexis McAllister rejected Manchester United in favour of a move to Liverpool, even though Liverpool are only in the Europa League. It says everything, really, says Shane, and Bernardinho is having none of it. I think McAllister has done really well, to be honest, to get a contract at Liverpool. He's carried all the way in a World Cup, and Caicedo complimented him, a bit like Kante did with Drinkwater. I mean, if, if he turned out to be Drinkwater, 
That's a bad signing. But I'd say you would hope that Liverpool are able to spot how much carrying is happening. I also, did he actually reject Man United? Were, were United? I hadn't even heard that, no. Uh, yeah, was that like, is that just a thing? As in, he could have gone there because everybody can always go anywhere in the imaginary world of um, transfers that don't didn't happen. Uh, and then one final one from Bobby Dwyer for now. If Kane comes in, he's going nowhere near Man United. The only place he could go is Real Madrid. No guarantee of silverware at Man United either. You did just slip the oh if we get uh, if we get Harry Kane and uh, Mason Mount then our team will be much different. Well, the United won a trophy this season and if they, without a striker. Um, so if they bring Harry Kane in, they'll be more likely to win more trophies. And also to say that he's unlikely to go to United, as Martin Lipton said, he wants that record. Whether that's staying with Spurs or whether that's going to Manchester United, he wants the record regardless. Yeah, I think um, I I would agree though. I don't think he's gone to uh, Manchester United. I think he's gone to Real Madrid if he's gone anywhere, and I think he's going to go nowhere. And I think Ange is going to be great for him. And we'll see. Mm. Um, but certainly it's going to be interesting. It's uh, 8.33 this morning. You're watching OTBAM. If you've just joined us, you're very welcome. You can get us uh, live every morning on the radio as a radio show on OTB Sports Radio. Tell your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio. Or you can uh, get us on the OTB app and you can minimise it and go about your day. Or, of course, you can consume us live on video on YouTube every morning. Make sure that you subscribe and we'll get details there uh, OTBAM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Audition is available now uh, Kathleen says the London Times had reported that McAllister rejected United um, this time around um, didn't, didn't Man United reject him as well and had the opportunity to sign him but he went to Brighton mm. was that one of the other great moments in uh, recent transfer dealings no we're not going to we're not going to sign you now for a couple of million we could sign you in a couple of years for 40 times that uh, right. A reminder that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. Brayburn Coffee coming to an Apple Green store near you. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month, so make sure you visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn Coffee experience. And we uh, have a competition on Twitter. All you've got to do is uh, retweet that and um, make sure you're signed up to us, and we uh, will be in touch with the winners. John Duggan is here. John. Jer and Shane, how are we all doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good morning, John. Now that it's happened, right? Now that Ange has happened, yeah. are you getting sucked back in? I always get sucked back in because I'm a sucker. Uh, no, I'm no beef with Ange, like uh, Muhammad Ali in the V-Kong. No beef, no beef with Ange Postacoglu, whatever happens to Spurs. Been reading a lot about him the last few days. Like his philosophy, it's, uh, it's attacking football or bust. And the inspiration he got from his dad around that. And I think that... He'll go down, um, if he's going to go down, he's going to go down with a shield, you know, yeah. on a 4-3-3. Yeah. Attacking game. Yeah. That's so, exciting. Doesn't uh, So for Fools, I've been enjoying some of his past press conferences and, and interviews. Oh, they're amazing. So if you, I, I definitely <laughs> been down that, that wormhole. There's, there's a great one where, the, was, he, was he the underage manager in Australia? On a TV show in Australia? Foster, is it Foster? Some guy, and he's just having this ding-dong with him for about 10 minutes. Amazing TV. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my f- favourite headline at the top of the morning to you this morning, Aussie Ardiles. Ah, it's fast. Aussie, fast. Did you get it? Yeah, did you get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like the mid-90s all over again. It's all right, like. It's all right. No, it's brilliant. Well, look. No, Shane, it's brilliant. But, but what's Aussie Ardiles, apart from the fact that he's a Spurs legend, is that, is that the link? Well, because he, he had the Fantastic Five playing nothing but attacking football. Right, I guess. Yeah, yeah. When he was the manager. We'll, we'll give it. We'll I, allow it. I put uh, on Twitter yesterday that Ange will be playing home and away. Oh, that's, hey. that's, I prefer that. Oh. I prefer that. As the first Australian manager ever to manage in the Premier League, hoping to bring John Kennedy with him. And um, who are Celtic going to get now? And I said Celtic fans will probably have bittersweet feelings about it. They just want to treble. 
Um, look, uh, with all of these things, how how much will Daniel Levy stay in the background? How much money will he give Postacoglu? And will he finally take his hands off the the controls? I, I like he, no, he's not going to take his hands off the controls. I think that. Like when you look at all the other clubs who are taking money from where they're taking money, um, I think Spurs are a really well-run club who've just been bad at picking the right manager, which is obviously one of the most fundamental decisions you've got to make, right? But, but was Conte not so Manchester had missed out on Conte when yeah. he went to Spurs? So, so Spurs not doing a good thing in getting him. Yeah, like, yeah. Insights twenty twenty. Well, t- no, well, Tottenham um, would Conte have stayed anywhere for any longer? Is the thing? No, I, 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 well, I just think Tottenham's recruitment has been sh- shambolic over the last decade. Recruitment has been terrible. Well, Ange's one of his positives is recruitment, certainly from a static perspective. Uh, so, so, and I don't think the manager, the manager is one component of. Um, a lot of things that need to go right at a football club. Richard Pochettino had Paul Mitchell um, as a very good recruitment person, and the recruitment that was kind of almost hollowed out there the last few years. But also, Andrew's knowledge of that Asian market. Like, if you can find, like, he obviously knows the Japanese market very well. But if you can find the next Chung Min Sun in South Korea or whatever, like, he, his knowledge of that area of the world could be huge. And Kyogo Farahashi, of course, could yeah. join him at Spurs. Maybe? Will they sell Kane? Um, I think if Kane's going to go anywhere, it'll be Real Madrid because Daniel Levy does a good relationship with Real Madrid. I don't think they're going to sell him to United, even uh, though he might, he wants that Shearer record. I, I, but I think Henry Winters making a good argument today that he's probably young enough to come back. Mm. He's only thirty this summer to come back when he's thirty three. No play, footballers are players at thirty six, thirty seven now. Yeah. He could end up at Brentford or Brighton and score mm. fifteen goals a season. Um, he's only forty seven off, I think. So look, um, I wish Ange all the best, uh, Tottenham. I just, I, I just think the funding model and the kind of the data model that Spurs need to kind of, from a business point of view, and, and the, as I said, the brilliant business people, Daniel Levy is board, great business people, but there has to be just better thinking and better uh, execution around the football side of the business. Like Beyonce is all great, all great having that, uh, you know, five. She is great, yeah. Um, but um, like ultimately, the, like the Champions Cup finals there next season. But ultimately, it's about the football product. There's no point in having a, a shiny house if there's nothing, no furniture. Well, all the shiny house makes it easier for the football product to, to get good eventually. At some yeah. point, the, the money will stick. Um, we should we haven't mentioned the League of Ireland results overnight last yeah. night. Um, oh, it's obviously not overnight, but yesterday evening. Yes. So, Shamrock Rovers now four points clear at the top. 3-0 win at Sligo. Rory Gaffney got two goals. St. Pats are flying. They're up to third. Six wins out of seven under John Daly now. They thumped Derry by four goals to one at Richmond Park. Bohemians lost 2-1, a late goal. They conceded away to Cork City at Turner's Cross. Damien Duff Shelburne edging Drahada 3-2 at Talca Park. And Pat Hoobin getting a hat-trick for Dundalk. 4-1 defeat of UCD at Oriel Park. Now 142 goals for Pat for the Lady Whites. But it just seems to me that Rovers are going to win the four in a row. Um, and I would have expected Derry to be not struggling the way they have the last couple of games. But, you know, Rovers did the same a few weeks ago. So it, it is interesting at the top, but I, I still think there's a little bit of a cushion between Rovers and the, the chasing pack. The four-point gap that they have opened up, it's just been, it's been slowly uh, kind of, uh, it's been inevitable, it felt, once they turned the corner. Yeah, um, they won six in a row. They lost a couple, but they've won a couple now again. And... Yeah, the, in terms of what else, I don't know if you did in the power rankings, but Toby Alderweireld. We didn't. No, you uh, can you, explain to this. Everybody this, this is like this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, and not just because he's a former Tottenham <laughs> man and a great defender for Spurs. Um, it's the Aguero moment for Belgian football. So on Sunday, uh, Union 
Saint Gilloise, as Cameron has um, mm-hmm. thankfully informed me how to say it properly, were about to win the Belgian title. They were 1 0 up against Club Brugge in the 88th minute, but Brugge equalised and Brugge eventually went on to win. That then left the title in Genk's hands. Genk were playing Antwerp uh, at Genk's ground, and it was 2 1 for Genk. And then in the 94th minute, Toby Alderweireld, uh, the ball is laid off to him outside the area, 25 yards out, and he drills it into the top corner. And then the whole place goes absolutely crazy from an away perspective. Genk are just stunned. Uh, all of the Mark van Bommel, the former Holland international, uh, runs onto the pitch, the manager, and all the players run to the pitch, all the coaching staff. And Alderweireld is like this uh, to the camera. And I always I was thinking about watching it back because it was just sensational stuff. The, the great work that's done by photographers and by TV director people to showing all the right shots in that moment and, and the photography. And he looked like something religious. He was like, he, like the arms outstretched. And on his arm is a tattoo of Antwerp Cathedral. It's his boyhood town. He never actually played for them because he went to Ajax when he was young. So he came back for the last season for Royal Antwerp and to score the winning goal, it's fairy tale stuff. And the Belgian city then went a bit crazy yesterday. We've got a bit of B-roll here from them. This is them Whoa. celebrating. Is Royal Antwerp, is that where John O'Shea was? Yeah. yeah they, David Beckham had a link well. with them for years. There was a, a joint venture between Royal Antwerp and Manchester United, the feeder club, I suppose. So a lot of... Oh, my word. Oh, yeah. Bit of Belgian techno. Beers and frites all round. You like a Belgian beer too, don't you, John? Ah, yeah. It's hard not to... Jeez, Edward, look, I, ever been to Antwerp? That's, have, yeah. Have you? Yeah. All right. Bought a few diamonds, you know? A few diamonds? Nah, I'm only joking. <laughs> It's like the home of diamonds. I didn't know that. And cocaine. Okay. Well, I think it's the biggest uh, cocaine importing city in the world. Right. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Jesus. Got a very good zoo, apparently. Um, although I'm not a fan of zoos, but apparently it's got a very good zoo. Um, but yeah, yeah, the Jupiler Pro League, uh, I think as it was called, and, and, and Royal Antwerp won it. Um, I was interested, in, I don't know if you talked about this in the papers, about the um, FAI plan. Yeah, we didn't talk about it yet. Uh, so they've kind of an audacious proposal they're putting towards uh, the government for a 15-year plan with a desire to invest in grassroots football, League of Ireland uh, infrastructure, which would have at least 10 teams having stadiums over 20,000, and the development of an international football centre. The costing of this, $863 million, $690 million of which they would hope would come from the state, partly as a result of the football getting a share of the levy from betting. And the other 173 million would come from private investment. It does boil down to about 34.5 million a year. This is reported in the Irish Examiner and Irish Daily Mail today. Um, look, Roy Barris has obviously been banging the drum. I know he's leaving about the levy uh, and that football, you know, should get a share of that. And Robert Watt, who I think is on the FAI board as well, um, obviously is one of the top civil services in the country. So if he is behind this and if, if this is, I suppose, if there's an air in the corridors of Dáil Air and that um, there might be a degree of receptiveness to this, especially with the Brexit situation, that players can't leave until they're 18, um, we will see. But um, it is audacious uh, that mismanagement in the past um, does cloud the, the proposal to a degree, not that that's the current FAI's fault in any way. Um, and then I suppose like anybody in a rugby or a GA infrastructure uh, administrative position might be just going, well, this morning. Um, but yeah, they've, they've put, I suppose they've put their gambit out there do you want to build a football industry or not? And uh, that's what's in the plan. Yeah, I think we should definitely have a mature discussion about having a football industry. Like, we could do it one. There's no reason for us not to have one. It is uh, the most popular sport in the world. And we have seen that any kind of investment in it 
tends to um, pay back. Like people want to go and watch football; they want good facilities. Um, I, I I think maybe ten, twenty thousand seaters is too much. I think that maybe you could certainly have a staged approach to that. Uh, there could be ground sharing. I realise that the clubs don't really want to do that, but um, you know, some hard decisions are going to have to be made if there's only going to be a limited amount of facilities available. But uh, at the same time, like if you don't ask and you don't make a plan and you don't say what the plan is and you don't tell everybody and, and rally support for it, then you never go anywhere. So I think in fairness to them, they're being ambitious. They're right to be ambitious. And uh, I think your point, John, about uh, rugby and the GA sitting back, letting the FAI go out and tell everybody what they're doing. Um, they are better organisations historically at getting money from the government and understanding soft power. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, as you say, they do have um, brain power in there who understand the corridors of power. And, and they have been accused of has, having some fairly significant missteps recently with the the uh, betting levy conversation. I, I thought they were dead right, to be honest, to be a bit more ambitious and to be a bit more ballsy when it comes to, like, we actually have something here that uh, is a good point. And um, their comparison with the greyhound industry, for example, which is still being propped up by the taxpayer and you have to wonder why as a taxpayer we're propping up the greyhound industry to the tune we are and you have to wonder why the horse racing industry is well, does, still, it, does the horse racing industry need the money anymore? Well that's what I was going to ask like you know are, are they was the whole point not to get it to a level where actually where it is now they can be self-sustaining yeah and I think they are like Aidan O'Brien incredibly won his ninth derby at the weekend mm-hmm. um, we're, we're the kings of jump racing at the moment over at Cheltenham every year um, I, I suppose the question, like we all grew up, I mean, the most, my most, I kind of, I did this thing on Twitter the other day, I always do these things on Twitter, like my clubs, you know, the Republic of Ireland will always be my uh, favourite uh, entity as a, sport, as a sports fan, I think it's the biggest thing in the country, when the Republic of Ireland team is going well, I think it, it, it has the, the reach that everything else doesn't have, um, and how important is it as a country for us to be at these big tournaments, to be on the world stage, at the Euros and at the World Cup, I think it's very important. I think it's great for our national identity, for our national pride. I think it's great for the um, confidence of just the people. I, 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 do, I do believe there's a the national mood. Yeah, the hid, yeah the hidden the hidden the hidden confidence, the hidden mood, the feel good. Um, and I'd love to love to get that back. And and that can only come, I think, especially now from um, it being bottom up as opposed to forty years ago when we were able to send players over at 16 and they would get into Liverpool and Man United teams. That just can't happen anymore in a global league, which the Premier League is. is. And with Brexit making it more difficult, um, Evan Ferguson's are probably more the exception than the rule. Mm. But we want four or five more Evan Ferguson's in 10 years. Uh, it's just harder now. So it has to be done more indigenous, in an indigenous way. Or we have to have links with other countries we can send players to, like the Netherlands or Italy or France or... Um, but yeah, I think I think being being at these being at these stages where you have all the, the eyeballs of the world on you is, is is very important. And rugby, as 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 well run as it is, apart from obviously there's been issues with the women's game, um, it's still a global minority sport. And Gaelic Games does not have a reach outside of this island. Uh, Epsom Derby, have you done it, John? Is that on the list? That's on the book. Oh, list. everything's on the list, but I've never done it. Yeah, uh, Adrian picked, uh, ticked off one of yours last week, the Monaco Grand Prix. I yeah, that's on, that's on your list. That was under uh, the radar. Yeah, that was. Um, 
he was down there. Well, Connor Moore was down there as well. I was like, just seeing some of the Connor Moore shots and, and Adrian like that. The Monaco Grand Prix is, 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 is well, that's the um, the most charismatic race, I suppose. But the Epsom Derby, yeah. Um, like I think the, the, the I've never seen elation <laughs> as much elation in the in the winners' enclosure from from Bally, uh Doyle Coolmore because Galileo died a year or two ago, and Galileo was the king of the stallions, Arsene Sadler as well, and sired a lot of Derby winners. But they need a replacement. And for August rode in to win, um, you could see the the, ju- the joy there and the, the relief because they, they need, obviously, new stars to come into the breeding operation. Um, yeah, and Ryan Moore, different gravy as a jockey. Oh, yeah. We might do a bit more of that uh, later on. John, good stuff. All right, lads. Thanks a million. It is 8.49 this morning. OTBAM is live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Light Edition is available now. Anthony Moyes is with us. Going to talk uh, about the weekend's GA action. Here's Colin Boyle talking about Mayo's performance at the weekend first. Loud made it very, very difficult for Mayo. There's no doubt about it. And there was a huge moment in the second half where Limit Gray had a, had a massive goal opportunity. If that goes in, it could be a very, very different game. But I think on the basis that they led all the way through, it almost seemed like the, the hard work done. They went five up in the in injury time with Phil McDonough, like fists the ball over the bar. Looked like that the hard work done. It was a case of seeing it out from there, but they didn't see it out at all very well. Conceded a goal chance straight away from a goal straight away from Colin McKeever. Another point from right at the end from Conor Grimes. And luckily for Mayo, the referee blew the ball up from the uh, from the next kick out because if there was another play in that game, all the momentum was with Lowe. They pushed everyone up the pitch. If they won it, there's a very good chance they might have got an equaliser or at least or sorry, at least an equaliser or maybe won the game. People who were listening to off the ball after the game might have heard Stephen Rochford speaking to me, and I put it to him that maybe. The same energy and intensity and um, ability to get scores that was there against Kerry wasn't there today. Now, he said, well, they're different games and Laos would play it differently. They sit deep, they make it difficult. So they're they're happy to get the win. They know there's things they can improve on. What do you take from the game? I think Stephen's right, yeah. Two very different games. Like the Kerry game, there's so much space in behind that Kerry defence when Mayo were, were on the attack. And, you know, for the likes of James Carr, Ryan, Ryan O'Donoghue, Aidan O'Shea, it was really a dream for them. Today is very, very difficult. Uh, very, very different. You know, Loud had 14 bodies inside that 45, pretty much for every Mayo attack. I think the frustrating thing about Mayo, for Mayo, you know, they go three up in the first five minutes, and it looks like yeah, with the, you know, they're dropping running. But really, when Loud got a chance then to reset and put everyone inside, I think Mayo only scored four points for the rest of the first half, three points from play from the start, six forwards, and there was never a stage where Mayo could attack that loud defence, get their best shooters on the ball, like a Ryan O'Donoghue, Aidan O'Shea, James Carr, coming on the loop and just chipping away on the scoreboard. Everything always looked really, really difficult, really, really hard. And, you know, they got a couple of frees that just, just kept them nudged, kept them nudging in front of loud all the time. But there was nothing really comfortable about it. There was nothing really, you know, not easy about it. But, uh, yeah, everything, everything was tough today for Mayo. Yeah, Colin Boyle talking about how tough it was for Mayo against Loud. Anthony Moyles is with us. Um, we, we put the All-Ireland contenders in the amber a little bit earlier on in the um, performance rankings because it's tricky. Everybody's wading through a bit of treacle at the moment. Yeah, yeah, lots of treacle. Um, and Mayo had to wade through a fair bit of it at the weekend. It's kind of, you know, last week everyone was was was... I suppose buoyed by Mayo and what they've done certainly I was but Loud showed a little chink yep. you know and I think it showed a chink that, that the likes of Derry and some of them would kind of go oh okay yeah, this is what we can do no it, it wasn't the best Mayo team no you know there's definitely to, to, to be able to beat that situation that Loud presented them you need an awful savage amount of pace at 5 and 7 that's that's 
bar none that's and, and you can see the difference when Durkin came on mm. you need half backs who are willing to take on their men and go past their men and then ask questions inside if you're just continuing lateral with the passes you know shifting it on to the guy well then you know your inside, your, your your defense that you're facing will just be that's fine, that's yeah. absolutely fine. And Loud presented Loud had a good few goal opportunities. They had a lovely one 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 on one where a beautiful little backdoor cut uh, ball played in. Goalkeeper made a really good save. Um, I don't think they were ever winning the game, but they could have presented much more problems for Mayo, and Mayo could have been caught. So he's trying to manage. Obviously, he's trying to manage his panel um, as everyone is, but it's. I, they'll they'll learn. They should learn a lot to kind of say, okay, we need to change things mm. up here. And maybe he's holding a few cards back as well, Jared. Like I think there's a bit of that going on. I think there's a bit of that going on this weekend with maybe the top teams, um, because probably they have to. Well, you, you, the injuries is and and like that's the feeling out. Um, can we, let's just briefly talk about the mad. Now everybody's complaining about the fact that we're getting to see too many games and too much football and they're saying, oh, the crowds are disappointing. Like It was the nicest day of the year yeah. on a bank holiday weekend when a lot of people might have decided that maybe they can watch it on the telly or listen to it on the radio and go and have life, you know, because yeah. th- yeah. th- there are other things too. Exactly. Um, but this is a league. We're, we're in the league section mm. and then yeah. there's going to be playoffs yeah. and championship finals when everything will be decided. But in the league section... All you're really doing is making sure that all the bad teams get knocked out. And so we'll have good teams and some not great teams in the preliminary quarterfinals. But, like, shut up, everybody, I think. Giving out about the system until it's over. And because here's the thing people are poisoned against this now. We might end up having the, the only good quarterfinal weekend in the last 20 years. This year, the first one, the 2010, there was a great quarterfinal weekend. But well, we had Go Armagh last year, yeah. but you, you but get the whole rare. weekend. Yeah, the whole weekend. Yeah, yeah. You should get two, maybe out of four. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very lucky if you get two. Yeah. Normally, you get one. Yeah, and True. after that, if you get a second one, yeah. you're thinking, "Oh, this is amazing! Yeah. A second good game." Yeah, mm. but actually. This is just the league. This well, is like yeah, yeah. And, and I saw you know so so there's two aspects to that I suppose there's there's the there's the the game too many games there's well, there's a couple of aspects too many games the quality of the games the the attendances and then also the structure and Jesus let's go again <laughs> once more with feeling uh-huh. yeah <laughs> like I actually don't know. Uh, maybe maybe there's something really obvious that I'm just not seeing, but everyone, every single team practically is going into this last weekend with something to go for. Claire, the only ones who were knocked out, totally out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's that. That's a result if yeah. you ask me. Like if we sat down last year and said, right, people are giving out about dead rubbers, and they're saying that really the last weekend is all about just throwing out your second or third team if you're in the ascendancy. The other team, half the lads are gone to America, and it's a waste of time. So how do we fix that? Fixed. You're yeah. 15 out of 16. Something potentially go. And whether, you know, I see, do see people saying, well, you know, teams who have lost once or twice or who haven't won or three could still end up. Well, that's the way it is. Yeah, but they're going to get killed in the preliminary quarterfinal. Like, that's what's going to happen. That's more what's than going to happen. So is there a little small tinker that you could do where, say, say, the top two go in or something like that? That's a possibility. I don't think the attendance, I think you're right, Jerry. Busiest, busiest weekend at Dublin Airport this weekend, right? Look, I mean, the fact of matches on TV, the fact of people will go to the beach with the kids, da da da. There's so much different aspects of it. And is a turgid affair? Uh, well, he said Clonus was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. 
like entertaining football. Both teams going for it. Load of scores. Like that was Monaghan Clare for anybody who's uh, yeah. Of course. Well, well yeah. I would argue. You know, and I, I kind of mentioned this to again. There was a, a spell there where football was absolutely terrible. Like you don't have to ca- go, go, cash your mind back that far. You know, where it was catch and kick, loads of turnovers, giving the ball away. Like the athleticism and the skill set of the modern player is by far the best mm. it has ever been. Right? You're seeing you're seeing players play having the ability to do things that looks kind of just normal now that would have been abnormal 15 20 years yeah. ago right it would have been it would have been the special few yeah. and then you've fellas who are the special few such as clifford who mm. are doing things that you have never seen and you you wouldn't have seen even 15 or 20 years ago so all of the different things all of the levels are being raised the athleticism the conditioning that's why teams are able to stick with these bigger so-called teams of the last 10 or 15 years now so all of that work is is being layered on and you're not going to change it overnight like the teams that take most of the risk reward the teams that are more um I think attuned to actually say going for the jugular, the teams that are, but also are, are quite controlled in certain ways. They're the teams that are ultimately winning and the teams that can transition the ball fastest from one end of the field to the next by kick mm. or by hand, certainly by kick because people are realizing that they're the teams that are mostly winning games, right? And who have the forwards to shoot and who have the forwards to shoot whether you're putting them in a zone or whatever it is. So therefore the template is there playing conservative, uh, lateral football will not win you games. Ultra-defensive. It just won't. Yeah. That, that's proven. So how do, I, how do I get to that? Now, some teams have said, well, we're not quite there yet. Like Mickey Hart said, this is an unbelievable achievement for Loud to get within whatever it is of Mayo. And I think he's correct in saying that. You know, he's, he's saying we were still in the game in the last couple of minutes. Yeah. And he said we weren't in the game against Dublin. They were blown out of it because they tried to go toe-to-toe. So we said, well, we want to set ourselves up for... Like, do we, you know, when you point in at the end, yeah. Point in it. yeah. You know, so so different teams. You have you can't you can't just say go. But look, I mean, how far? <laughs> many times ago, not that long ago, teams were playing Dublin and say, "Oh, why did they go for it?" You know, they should they should have just set up defensive. Should have got by twenty five points. Now teams are going, "Oh, you shouldn't set up defensive. The teams should be going for it. it it's not, it's not a spectacle. Mm. You know, it's not good for us as fans. Personally, if I'm training my, you know what, off six win. times a week. I want a chance. Yeah. Mm. The, the, it's funny, the, it was one of the things I noticed as well, watching the Kerry highlights and even in Clonus as well, the, the, the scoring zone in Gaelic football has just got further and further out from goal. Like, yeah. Modern and Clare were popping scores from, from outside the 45, even, even at different points. Uh, it's like the, the game has changed in that degree. I also agree with you on the, the halfbacks. Like, Derry were scoring goals. Like, their wing halfbacks were scoring goals. Like, Carlo Connell, Con- Conor McCarthy scored a goal in two for Monaghan from wing halfback. Yeah. Like, the team that wins All-Ireland this year are going to have to have as, as you say, two quick, fast wing halfbacks. Yeah, and I, I tell you one thing as well. It's it's, it's vital. I watched the Mead Down game on Saturday. Very evenly matched game. Dahi McGowan kicked two rakers of fifties. The fifties nearly actually nearly should be put out to the sixty. Now these guys are well able. They're even <laughs> tapped them over. Um, but one thing that is very evident. And again, you watch even the loud game. Mulroy missed a few mm. chances. Um, Similar to Kildare as well, Jer. at certain times, you need a free taker. Like rugby now, you know the, the rugby stats come up, you have to be at 85%, yeah. 90% plus. Because the game has become so controlled at, at certain times that when you're coming in and breaking those lines and the referees are given freeze, whether you're buying the freeze or they're genuine freeze, those freeze all have to be just yeah. bang. Yeah. So in other words, it's literally saying... 
wherever nearly in that 50 metre line, whether it's far left, far right, you can't foul because mm. this guy's just going to get it. And actually, that could be the difference when it comes to it. The best teams will have the most efficient and best free takers. I think that's why they're putting Dean Rocks right back in. I think there you go because there was a few games there where he wasn't there and they weren't quite sure what was happening. And again, the the efficiency comes down to between fifty five and seventy five, and you're like, that's not acceptable. You can't win all on with that. Correct. What about what about Kerry then? Where are they? So obviously, there's a shock to the system against Mayo and nothing like a trip to Cork. In fairness, we were slagging off the. Uh, Kerry Media Mafia say, oh, is Cork going to put it up to them? And Cork did put it up to them. Yeah. So uh, the, the Kerry Mafia were correct to be um, scared heading into the game. They were, yeah. Um, I thought Cork were really, really hard done by. Um, I thought they, they could have and should have got something out of the game. Uh, I thought the penalty, and people will argue that, okay, it does not, I think the rule is that it does not have to be a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Um, I'm kind of flummoxed still, because if that's the case, <laughs> you know. It's one, the, it's one of those, if it's given against your county, you're not happy. In, uh, so John Fogarty has it in the examiner today. In the opinion of the referee, the player fouled, or in the case of Rule 512 infraction, to deliberately collide with an opponent after he's played the ball away or for the purpose of taking him out of the movement of play his team had and was denied of the opportunity to score a goal when the infraction was committed. Very clear. Yeah. It's written so that the lawyers can get anybody off under anything later, yeah. later on. Exactly. It's, it's designed for the... It, it's Because it's a very PRA. hard one. When you slow it down, mm. and of course everything is always, you know, you see a hit in slow motion and you're like, oh, but then of course you see it in, in, in real time, it's different. There's no doubt about it. As Gini comes into the tackle, he switches the ball into his left arm mm-hmm. and he 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 rides the he goes into the cornerback or whoever it was it was a powder yeah uh, and and he goes down. Yes, Clifford is across. There's two Cork fellas coming back who, in real time, he speeded up. Who would have got there? Who would have made it a very difficult hand pass for him, which is off his left, going across the goalkeeper, mm. um, with then Clifford coming in on his left. So. I thought it was harsh, but in in more general terms, I thought Cork gave them plenty to think about. Uh, lots of speed, lots of pace. Yeah. Um, again, I think Cork, when the crunch came to it, Hurley missed two frees on the left side, left hand side of the post. Sherlock, come on, missed another free. We get back to that efficiency level. I really think Kerry are stuttering. They're stuttering big time, Jared. There's Clifford is standing head and shoulders above the rest of them. Ganey looks like he has about forty minutes in him. And then he, he, he blows up. Paddy Clifford is playing this quarterback thing, but once you get a sticky corner back on him, mm-hmm. you just say, listen, follow him everywhere. Just, just, just mitre him. Just put him out of the game. Then I'm going, Moynihan? Not really doing it for me. Um, and I think they're half, they're 10 and 12. First of all, they're not really working hard yeah. enough. And neither are they impacting the game from a forward offensive point of view. Uh, I thought Paddy, the midfield was, was pretty good. Sean O'Shea was good. Um, but again, he drifted out of the yeah, game in the yeah. last 25, 30 minutes of it. James Marsh, Marsh, and by the way, like after that, I think I saw a stat outside of the black card. Like Cork, Cork gave them a good old tonkin. Um, like Cork were massively uh, diminished when the, when the black card occurred. Mm, yeah. um, and then the goal. And they were kind of going, Jesus, you know, this isn't... It, it, it was just... I thought it was a very, very patchy um, performance by them. And I think I, I'd say if you're Jack O'Connor, you're worried. You're genuinely worried. You're kind of going, I do not see our identity here. I don't know what we are. Bar, get the ball to David. And he um, hopefully will do it for us. They're going to be playing every week now unless Mayo... I mean, they're going to be playing every week, basically. Is that a 
is that the worst thing for them in a way that they actually there's no time to to think they're going to have to sort this out would you rather a break I I say yeah it's a tricky one I think they need to, to they need to unearth someone from the bench um, young Murphy came on you know, again, shifted on a lot of ball, didn't do anything major that you would be worried about from mm. a defensive point of view. They don't have enough guys who are standing up and saying, listen, I- I'll win it for you. It literally seems to be, well, we have the best forward in the country, so why? what am I doing shooting? Yeah. Like, what am I doing trying to impact the game? I'm just going to try to get him a ball. Now, my, <laughs> to be honest, most of the time that works, <laughs> you know? Like, you can imagine the video reviews going, why did you take that shot? Like, David was within 20 feet of you. Just get it to him. So, it's, it, it is a hard one, but they're going to have to have more of a spread when it comes to the crunch. And that's outside of Clifford and Shawnee O'Shea. They're going to have to have... Like, the, the best carry teams of old, different fellas would chip in with points. You know, you'd have fellas getting two to three regular around the field. Um, and you'd have different guys coming off the bench who would ask questions of you. Mm. I just don't see it. I don't see the bench. I don't see I don't see the depth. Um, fellas who come on and do an okay job. Yeah, like, yeah, they're yeah. not bad footballers. Like, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll come on and they'll work and they'll blah, blah, blah. But will they impact and be able to break down a Derry defence? With Derry two or three points up? Mm. Hard to see it. I, I mentioned this morning the 2009 Kerry team. Jack O'Connor's been here before. Like, having a mediocre enough Kerry team and uh, shoots of uh, well, negative they, uh, they were... Big squad, obviously. Uh, they were... Uh, you know, an all-time great team, but the form mm. was terrible. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then the lads went drinking and found their form somewhere in, yeah. a, in different pubs. Yeah, a bit of bonding. Um, yeah, and then they met us. <laughs> and we gave the ball away continuously. But that was, but it was funny. You know, it is, it is, I suppose, a slightly... They played you in the semis that year, did they? Yeah. All right, yeah. start Learwigs is the quarters on the August Bank Holiday weekend. Yeah, yeah. Played us in the semi... Um, yeah, and actually it was a game, we were well in that game, and and we actually, if you know, if you're doing stats on the game, we probably had more possession than they had. It was a greasy day, it was it was, it was warm, and then it, then it lashed rain, and it was one of those days where, and, and we just, at the amount of times, we just kicked ball out over the end line, trying to play fast football, but I, think, I don't know what was in it in the end, but it was it was it was just one of those games, but we actually, like, we really thought we'd take them. Um, Four points in it, 2-8 to 1-7. Yeah, it was a tell. Like, I mean, it was a very, it was a low score. Yeah. Feast of attacking football. Feast of attacking Back football. in the glory days. Yeah, yeah. But basically just kicking the ball away. You know, probably both teams. Keen Ward, um, Ward got the goal in stoppage time, the, the Meath goal. Yeah, but still, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I gave a penalty away. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I just saw that there. Thanks. <laughs> Highlighted. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't know where they are. I'd say, I'd say, I don't know, Jair, whether it's take a break, but I think they need to like there's no bolter you know mm. there's no guy who maybe they have someone down in Kerry but there's no there's no one I can see who's a mercurial type of fella who's just going to come in like Tony Brosnan isn't doing it right he's not um, he's been tried and, and it, whether his confidence has dipped but like the first couple of times you know he was all going well it was all like no no Tony Brosnan could do this type of thing and now he's gone mm. you know and I thought he was going to be the guy to kind of you know unlock defences um, so I think they are struggling a bit and for me the way they perform they're not winning all Ireland well they're going to have a tricky uh, preliminary quarter final and then if they win that they're going to have a very tricky quarter final against Dublin Galway or Derry more than likely 
Wow, yeah. It, that's Kerry, where, because that, they lost the Mayo game. Kerry Louth in a neutral venue, somewhere in the middle of the country, in the last game. And if Louth beat them... Kerry are gone. Kerry are gone. Yeah, but Louth aren't going to beat them. No. Not? No. No, I don't think oh, Kerry... No, no, no. no. Loud won't, no. Loud won't beat them. That's actually probably the best game for them because Loud will set up ultra-defensively, such as at the weekend, will try to cash him on the counter-attack, and Kerry will be able to work on the systems of you know, breaking down that, that defence. Now, they'll want, to, so get, sure, they'll want to get a big enough pitch. Sorry, it, it's, not, it's, complete, it's not a foregone conclusion. No, Completely course. it's not. Um, because Loud are there on merit, um, and, and Loud could very easily, well, sorry, not very easily, it, it will be tough for them. Um, Mickey Hart dumping Kerry out of the championship in the last round? No, oh, he'd love to do it. Of course he oh, would. Oh, jeez. But, like, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, can't see it. But, but if that's the permutations, well, it, I think it, that's where it ends. Yeah. Uh, I, sorry, I don't know if you can be drawn. I presume you can't be drawn against a team from your group in the quarters. That would be madness if you can. So I don't know if that's seeded or not. But. Um, but otherwise, they could they could face Mayo again in the quarterfinal. But that that's it. There are there are good teams in all of the groups. Yeah, and they have not finished first in their group, which was their job to get the week off between the um, preliminary and the um, actual quarterfinal itself. Uh, so, so everybody has this week off, and then next week is the final round of games. The week after that is the preliminary quarterfinals, and the week after that is the, is the quarterfinal. Yeah. So three yeah. games in three weeks. And um, if you didn't win your group, you're playing in three weeks. Yeah, it's interesting to see even with Dublin and Kildare. Um, I know Glenn Ryan was 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 very annoyed post the game about Kildare's performance. I actually thought Kildare Kildare had a decent first half, um, and I thought they still tried in the second half. Yes, there was lapses of concentration, but Dublin learned from the Lancer game, big time. And what they learned was in that game. Kildare had learned from the previous year which is that Dublin liked to attack down the wings mm. and so they blocked that out by numerous but this time Dublin said oh ok you blocked that out we'll go straight down the middle the amount of scores they got where they actually just went straight down the middle Kildare didn't adapt quickly enough um, and Kildare had no bench did no impact again off the sub like Kevin Feely came on was pretty innocuous um, Flynn came on did what he does which is the sublime mixed with the frustrating and they just didn't have guys that could come on and make a big difference. But Dublin, on the other hand, it's slight, it, again, it's, it's, it's an interesting tweak from Farrell. You mentioned Dean Rock. I didn't think... Dean, I've been there before. As the twilight of your career comes, you try to do the devil and all. <laughs> you're trying to be in the backs. You're trying to kick scores. You're trying, and what ends up, you don't do, and you're getting more and more frustrated. When you're confident in your pomp, you're just going, give me the ball. And I'll just do my job. Mm. And his job was put the ball over the bar. Now he's trying to do everything. And you see, he's working hard and he's hard, and it, but it's just not going for him. Whereas Pascal comes in and just goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to try to really go at teams. And it's funny, I think Farrell is starting to go, I need to remove the conservatism from that forward line. It's Kilkenny is the issue, right? And <laughs> so he was injured and wasn't available. But people forget that he was dropped in the dairy game and comes on after three minutes because there's an injury that day as well yeah. so without without him are, like he's obviously an incredible footballer so is there a way of getting him in the team where he doesn't slow things up uh, you use him as a corner forward and his job is to finish or is that getting in the way of Khan well again I'll go back to the very first comment we made at the start which is about speed and that ability to break lines so McCaffrey 
is your is is your is one of your big losses, right? Don't know where Merchant has been. He's obviously must be injured because again he has been that for them mm. over the last number of years where he brings that unbelievable pace. Uh, um, so if you don't have that, Jer, you, you, what's happening then is is that you need it then certainly from your your half forward mm. line. So it's interesting to see Pascal. It's 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 really interesting to see him in there because he has that pace and he has like one of the scores he got at the weekend was brilliant where he's left and right. Um, Kilkenny's conservatism could cost him a position because it's like a lot of players you see playing. Do you remember David Batty? You played with Leeds. Yeah, yeah. The man I used to sit watching him and kind of go, "How's that man being paid? The money he's being paid because he never ever kicked the ball forward." Sideways back, sideways back. Yeah, he was in there for a few crunch and tackle. But, like, I mean, you just knew. Like, I mean, the defence just go, no, don't worry, he's not going to kick it forward. Like, I mean, we don't have to. So there's that that idea of when Kilkenny gets the ball, he's not asking enough questions for you. It's interesting to see that they pulled O'Callaghan out to 11. And I think Conor O'Callaghan enjoyed that. I think he loved the freedom of that. You could see it in the performance. He was, he. was I think he's more dangerous there, especially if... You have a team that are going to set up, say such as the Derry, yeah. and they'll say, "Well, we'll go in there and we'll 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 hound out, crowd out that full forward mm. line on you." Um, so, uh, I think I think they're all uh, Farrell is trying to find that balance, um, obviously. But I think you know, Kilkenny, I don't know how you fit him into that system. I really don't. I think it's tricky. Um, they'll be relatively happy with where they are at the moment, Dublin. I mean, obviously, everybody says they're still not. Uh, but you know, they're easing off to second half victory in a game that was never really in doubt once they put the burners on in the second quarter. So will they be relatively happy? I think they'd be there? relatively happy. Yeah, I think they'd be relatively happy. I think they've 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 done what they need to do. Yeah. Um I still think they are probably in a situation where when the crunch really comes on and this is the thing about Kilkenny that you you can't you can he he is a proven winner. So what 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 will happen is Farrell will sit there and he'll go, this guy here who's unproven, yes he's dynamic, yes he can do all those things, but when the when the crunch when the pressure really comes on, can I rely on him or can I rely on mm. this guy who I know uh, by the way he's done it all before. Yeah, but maybe he's an incredible sub to have to come on in games where you want to take the sting out of Mayo get a run on you at some point, Tyrone get a run on you at some point. You're like, where's my cavalry? You're the guy. You're just yeah. going to get on, get possession, yeah. keep it for five minutes, and then we we'll point at the end of it. Do onto them. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You, you watch like Ross Common or Ross Common, like they've already beaten Mayo, they've drawn with Dublin, uh, proper challengers. Oh, well, we've said it the last couple of weeks, and we're, I'm, I'm kind of fearful of, of blowing ahead in them because we did it at the start of the league, and then yeah. they kind of they took the, the they dropped their back into third gear. They are proper challenge again, as I said, because they can play it whatever way you want to play mm. it. If you want to go ultra defensive, that's no problem. We have the guys who we know we can put the the ball into, who will get the scores. And do you know what I really like about him? He he he's obviously pretty ruthless, but ruthless kind of with a smile on his face. Like Donny Smith wasn't fantastic. He he messed up a few times against Dublin, right? Where there was opportunities to flick off a mm. ball. I don't know if you remember one kind of late in the second yeah. half, and I think he kind of he was holding his leg after it. But it was a great opportunity of a score, and he was gone this weekend. Now he came on. But he was only, I think he was like the third or fourth mm-hmm. sub. Like he wasn't first man in. Now he's a big name for them and he will be a big name for them over the last number of years. So they're obviously kind of saying, listen, it's it's all about team here. You know, there's no individuals. Like even Enda Smith, who who is a go-to man for them, 
like he he he's linking all the time mm. and he's getting on the end of things, but he's doing his work. Like Jesus, I've watched him in the last number of seasons, and you'd be kind of pulling your hair out because he would let fellas drift by him. Like he's working; they're all working their socks off. Um, I think they have a really, really good shout. Yeah. Um, everyone's kind of waiting for them to fail. Yeah. You know, everyone's yeah. waiting for them to do the most common of old, which is they nearly get there and then they just kind of they they flitter away and and they're gone. I I, think I don't see it. No, and they could again. They're going to cause somebody in the quarterfinals if they make it all sorts of headaches because um, you know then they would have they could play Mayo again they could play Derry at that stage yeah any of those teams you know? they'd fancy themselves yeah, yeah. alright and then they end up sorry now. they end up in a, a semi-final and with the forward line that they have who knows yeah yeah Anthony, good stuff. All right, cheers, lads. Thanks a million. Uh, now, don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTV Podcast Network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. It's all in partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals, so open the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Here are some other highlights on the OTV Podcast Network for you. The Football Pod and Hurling Pod reacting to the weekend's action, and the Koi Gig Pod looking back on the Champions League final. You can follow off the ball across social and subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network. Top pocket goal! Ahead of this summer's football in Australia, we we're going to Australia. It's what dreams are made of. We'll be hosting a night of celebration for the Republic of Ireland women's national team in partnership with Sky, and it's coming your way on June 28th in the Mansion House in Dublin. What a moment for the Republic of Ireland! We'll be joined by the full squad. I don't know what we've just done. You know, I did believe we could do it. As well as some other great guests, as we give the team a night to remember. Emma Bird is in tears. <laughs> I can't believe it. We've finally done it. Tune in to all of Off The Ball's channels for a chance to win tickets to this exclusive event. Sky, proud primary partners of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Out believe together and we can go anywhere. They are going to the World Cup Finals. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right, to something uh, slightly different. I'm delighted to say we have two legendary referees with us, uh, Dr. Errol Sweeney and uh, Keith Hackett, to join us now. Um, gentlemen, you're both very welcome to the show. Refereeing is, is generally in crisis across all sports, it turns out. But Errol, I might start with you. Uh, do you remember a time when the atmosphere around refereeing was so difficult? I think it's always been difficult. Um, it's never an easy job, if you call it a job. Um, you've got two competing teams, and no matter what decision you make, uh, one team is not going to be happy. So it's always been difficult. And it's always been difficult, just adding on a little bit, to recruit, and not even recruit, but to retain referees that are already there. It feels like it's getting worse, though. Yeah, it does, uh, with the amount of... Um, um, assaults on referees. I mean, even here in the Republic of Ireland, um, we had a, a young man, same namesake as myself, called Daniel Sweeney from Athlone, who was severely assaulted in the car park after a match by four individuals. And I, and I, I, I I'm trying to be nice now, not to be too rude, but they were these guys attacked him after the game and. Uh, Severely assaulted and broke his nose, broke his eye sockets and knocked out some of his teeth and so on. Just appalling. And it's going on. In fact, I had a, a picture uh, that I put up on my, my own show on a Monday night called the Monday Review Show. And um, where a young lady in Pakistan 
was assaulted and I have the photograph with the blood coming down out of the back of her ear there. It's appalling uh, and something really, really seriously needs to be done and not next week or next year, but now. Keith, what do you think could be done to help the situation that we find ourselves in? Well, I think the English uh, FA have taken a step in the last couple of weeks that I think is dynamic, but it only applies at the lower end of grassroots level football. And that is to start to deduct points for uh, serious misconduct. And I think that what we've got to do is at the senior game, the elite level game, where there's so much cheating, there's there's tactical influences on the game that are negative towards uh, the spectator. If we look at the amount of actual playing time, we're looking at 52, 53 minutes of actual playing time in a Premier League game at this moment in time. And that a lot of that is down to just sheer cheating that's going on, which is making life very difficult for the referee. The referee's got a sanction of a yellow and a red card. And we saw recently with Anthony Taylor issuing 13 yellow cards in a Europa Cup final with the impact of the yellow card having almost no reaction whatsoever. Whereas in my day, when we first introduced yellow cards, it impacted immediately and we had players just backing off a bit and re- reacting to it. But the modern game, as Dr. Errol has quite rightly pointed out, is getting worse at the top level and it's cascading down and making life very difficult for referees at grassroots level. And we in England are actually seeing games taking place on the odd weekend without referees being available. What, you've brought that incident up um, there, Keith, the, the Anthony Taylor incident. And, and I guess from a from a viewing perspective, it was tough to watch the, the substitutions and the coaches, you know, gesticulating for every single little decision. Then you see the video of Mourinho afterwards, you know, castigating Anthony Taylor as he heads for his, his transport home. And then you see the horrific scenes in the airport as well, as, as mm. himself and his family are, uh, you know, completely... Um, abused and have chairs thrown in their direction and all sorts and spat at. Uh, what was your, re- your reaction to that? I was just appalled. I think anybody in sport recognises that when referees make decisions, there's half the team going to be unhappy with what you what you've actually decided to do. And I think that it's part of the game. But I think this was an extension of something that. We've not seen at the elite level. We, we, you know, Dr. Errol has pointed out the, the physical assaults that have taken place and that continue to take place at grassroots level with our junior referees. At the elite level, this was completely and utterly out of the ordinary. Now, I think there's questions that UEFA have got to ask uh, about security, their own personal security of the match referee. Of course, we had Mourinho having a, a, a go at the referee in the actual area of the departure of the transport to the airport or to back to the hotels. That should not have happened, and there, there needed to be security around that. Now, as a referee, and I've, I've been there in Europe, you referee the match, and then the following day you're going back to the airport, usually with the, the, the FA of that particular country guiding you through the airport, but little security. I think now in the modern game, we've just got to step up the security. Jose Mourinho has to take responsibility too, though, right? Like, he, he 
legitimised or gave cover to the fans who subsequently acted by his actions? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? We 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 saw a couple of years ago Trump uh, and and all the sort of machinations of his reaction on the media and what happened afterwards with the assault um, in in a public office. Now, I think that what we've got here is something similar. There's no doubt in my mind that Mourinho was a catalyst for the problems, and as a consequence. I'm calling you, Aoife, to make a, a real sanction here. Now, the sanction, first of all, is the two teams and the one that was the real offender, I think they should be thrown out of the competition for a couple of years. They should not be allowed to compete for any UEFA competition. Now, in terms of Mourinho, what do you do with him? Well, He's a football manager. He manages the team. He has to affect the changes of that team. So a ban. And that ban, I think, has to be really meaningful. So for me, I think I'm looking at a 10-match ban. Now, that is extraordinary, out of the ordinary. But I think the incidents involving Taylor, who, you know, thanks to someone who caught a chair, it avoided hitting him. And uh, and that could have been a serious injury. So for me, I think it's got to be fairly draconian. I start off at that point. No doubt UEFA will back off a bit, but let's get a, a punishment that, he, that that is meaningful. Errol, so obviously um, the, the punishment must fit the crime for any of these incidents. In, in terms of trying to change the culture, um, where do you start? How do you, how do you begin to alter the situation? Because it's not just football that this is an issue in literally every sport. We do a sports show, we cover everything. Uh, and after every high-profile match in almost any sport, we could sit and pick through every single incident and go, well, the referee was like, you know, largely was right, but was wrong in these few key things which swung the game. So from a, a cultural perspective, what can football do particularly? Well, I, I don't know if it is going to change. And my reason for saying that is there's so much money involved now. I mean, players and managers, I mean, their salaries are telephone numbers. And so long as that amount of money is there, uh, I think this will not only continue, but might even get worse because the need to win seems to be at all costs. And if cheating and diving and lying uh, is is um, necessary, then so be it. Uh, I, I would 100% agree with Keith, and I'd even go a little bit further in saying that the sanction should not necessarily be monetary, because that's nothing to them. It's small change, even, even if it is small change. I think it really needs to hit them, not necessarily in the pocket, but in their position in the league and immediately deduct them points. And as I discussed with Keith on, on my show last night, um, teams can, can get deducted 10 points, 15 points, even relegated as Rangers were a couple of years ago because of misdeeds or whatever they did. The same has to happen in instances like this. Finding them in money is absolutely nothing when you get some of the big team owners who are multi-billionaires, let alone millionaires. So the money is not the issue. I think it has to be ban- It has to be um, points, definitely on points. And as for the yellow cards that Anthony Taylor issued the other night, um, he had no choice but to issue yellow cards. But I think there was a very cynical move going on here in that some of the players are saying, well, I've already been booked. You do the next one and then you get a yellow card. Maybe I'm being too cynical, 
but it seemed like that's the way it was going. Mm. And mm. perhaps maybe bringing in something like after a third yellow card, the next card for that team should be red, regardless of the seriousness of the incident. But something really seriously needs to be done to stop this. Otherwise, it's going to go on because there's a winning mentality there, win at all costs. And if that means cheating and diving, or as the famous one with Jose Marina used to be, park the bus, win at all costs, that seems to be the attitude nowadays. Yep. Law five of the laws of the game clearly states, clearly states that the referee's decision is final. It also says in there that players and officials must, not will or might, must respect the decisions of the referee. And the third thing I would stop, absolutely stop, is this handshake with the players and the officials at the start of the game. If I was in charge of the referees, I would say, please, with respect, do not shake hands with my referees. I'm going to step them back. And if you want to shake hands with each other, that's fine. And what happens? The game hasn't started two minutes and they're kicking lumps out of each other. They're cheating. They're mm -hmm. diving. So much for the respect. So much for the handshake. I would say to my referees, stay away. You don't get a judge up on the bench coming down and talking to the defense or talking to the lawyers or, or, or commiserating with a guy who's just been sentenced. He's there on his own, separate. Referees should be the same. I also criticize the referees for going over to players. Player goes down injured and they're, they're almost treating him like he's their son. Are you all mm -hmm. right, son? Is everything okay? Shouldn't do that. You have to be seen to be totally independent and separate at all times. Um, Earl, like, I guess that the, the issue as well, refer referees are more visible now. So many games are on television that everyone recognises them on the street when they see them. Um, you, you would have refereed in South Africa for, for quite a significant uh, number of years. Would you have had any examples of, of intimidation or abuse directed towards yourself after matches? Oh, how much time have you got? I mean, I've, I've been taken out of the boot of, in the boot of a car in certain places. Um, I was taken out in an armoured personnel carrier one time in, in Johannesburg. Um, I arrived at a hotel down in Bloemfontein to do a very important relegation match. When I got to my room, I had a, a, a bullet was left on my bedside table. I got the message. But, it was, but we had fantastic security before, during and after the game. I, I, could, I could tell you stories all day long to make your hair stand uh, as far as South Africa because they really are fanatical. But on the issue of Anthony Taylor, I'm going to elaborate a little bit on what Keith said. Referees, after important games of any description, be they finals or first-round matches, should not have to walk through the normal departure gates where they can easily be seen, identified and accosted like Anthony Taylor was. Surely they can bring them out the diplomatic way where diplomats, they don't walk through the normal uh, departure but it's gates. But it's or, just, yeah, you know. I, look, I, we, we shouldn't have to do that, though, right? Because, like, this is just... Oh, absolutely, no. It's just football. You wouldn't have to do it if Mourinho hadn't ratted up the ante. And, and I, I, like, I, I do agree with you. In certain circumstances, tensions will run high and you need to uh, plan for the worst. I absolutely understand that. But, like, really, we, sh we shouldn't <clears throat> need to be treating referees like... Like unexploded bombs. Um, no, know. and absolutely, you should not. But that's going to be the case from now on. And again, it's all related to money. Because of the amount of money and the need to win and the desire to win, uh, that's going to... I, uh, sadly, I think it's going to, it's going to continue. But uh, what happened to Anthony Taylor was absolutely appalling. 
And it's not only him, but it could be anybody, like other referees I've mentioned earlier on, who get assaulted, and we never hear a thing about it. Yeah. It's happening at the lower levels. Keith, the final point on this, um, in terms of like how hopeful or otherwise you feel about the direction we're heading in, it, it doesn't feel like we're going the right direction. Maybe Howard Webb coming out and doing some uh, publicity around VAR is going to help tone down the, the VAR obsession that's going on at the moment. But what's your instinct about the direction that we're travelling right now? Well, I think uh, my view is that we've seen in the last couple of seasons what has been deemed the lighter touch. That is... Referees trying to reduce their amount of involvement in the game to allow the game to flow. As a result of that, what has happened is players have taken advantage, in my opinion, and uh, and we've seen misconduct in all aspects that are negative to the overall image of the game. Howard will no doubt uh, have learned over recent years uh, how to ch- make the changes through good communication with the public and the media. He's a very good media-savvy guy. Now, I think what he's got to do is is he's got to get VAR operating in a much more efficient manner. My view is that the way that that could be done is to have a, a, a single panel of VAR specialists. Those guys, that's all they do week in, week out. I think that will help the relationship between referee and VAR that is somewhat wayward at the moment. I think he's got to work with the clubs and the managers to say, here are specific areas of the game that we are going to clamp down. We're going to tighten up, I think, uh, acts of simulation. And in, in, in that case, open cheating that make it very life, very difficult for the referee. I think in that situation... <clears throat> He should be talking to the FA and the Premier League and say, look, what I'd like you to do is support our referees by post-match sanctions, if appropriate. And that means review some of the actions of players on the field of play and subject them to some form of fine or suspension when they have actually been proven to be simulating, if you like, cheating the game. Now, VAR is an area, but I think also we need the laws of the game changing in in relation to handball. At the moment, they've tried to tighten up and show too much of the detail of handball, whereas I think we need to go back to, you know, I, I, I read the 1938 laws of the game, not that I'm a nerd, but I read them recently. All it says is that handball has to be deliberate. And I think that's all we need. Let the referee judge whether the handling offence has been deliberate. This whole nonsense of a player making his body shape bigger fails to take into account that the, the, the action of the body, the body mechanics, when someone is either running or jumping for the ball. And therefore, we get incidents that we saw in the cup final of, of Grealish being punished with a penalty kick when he believes that his action was uh, natural. I thought at the time it was a harsh decision because I didn't see the body shape being made uh, bigger. And therefore, in that sense, we had VAR coming in. And a decision that probably the referee on the day during the course of the game took little notice of was suddenly drawn into controversy. Yeah. 
because of the involvement and over-exuberance of VAR. Look, I'm here in a, a room in Stockley Park. I want to get involved. And what we've got to do is Howard's got to say to them, stay out of it until we believe it's a clear and obvious error. All right. Fascinating stuff. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us this morning. You've been great with your time. Cheers. Pleasure. Sarah Sweeney and Keith Hackett are giving us uh, some thoughts on the crisis in refereeing. And, I, I, you know, we are talking football, but it's clear that the same crisis exists in all sports at the moment. A reminder, we're live each morning with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Audition is available now. Uh, on tomorrow's show, uh, we'll have Vidi Perth with us. Uh, look back at last night's fixtures and ahead to next weekend's fixtures. Um, a look ahead to the uh, Europe, Europe Conference League final and plenty more. Some of the comments that we didn't get to earlier on. Um, Madrid would never sign Kane. He doesn't have the commercial appeal or profile to be a marquee Real Madrid signing, says Quirky1980. Oh, uh, no. And That's then, ridiculous. England's quite a big country. It's a big market. Thomas Gravison wasn't exactly a marquee, was he? Um, Still played for the Galacticos. Yeah, and also like Gareth Bale was, you know, also came from Spurs. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Steve McManaman? He's as high profile as you get. Was, was he not on the Jimmy Fallon show, Harry Kane, when he was over? Was he? Yeah. He was on one of those shows. Yeah. He says he wants to kick in the NFL when he's finished. Right. Best of luck to him. Uh, between Spurs paying out sack managers and signing players and ruining them, Perisic, Basuma, etc. They're, they're a shambles, and I don't know how Levy gets away with it, says Porrick Dillon. Kane is more motivated by beating goal-scoring records, pr- prefers to be like Shearer, a big fish in a small pond. Yes, London, a famously small pond, Connor Joyce. Tiny little pond, not at all important in the... In the global scheme of things uh, if you're ever having a bad day just realise there's a Spurs fan out there says uh, Boyce88 so thanks very much for that um, and then loads of people suggesting that maybe Mickey Hart will be able to uh, pull off something magical Tell against you. Kerry don't rule it out that's all I'm saying uh, watch the Mayo game with a few Kiwi mates here down in Melbourne they weren't too impressed torturous game says Lorkey which is fair enough and uh, there yeah that is it uh, right, we're done for today. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.